Welcome, Barflies, to another edition of Draft on Tap, and this is a very special one. We've got two very special guests, and one person missing, at least for the for a good portion of the show. Neil Stopchinski is taking care of some family matters, and so we wish him well. And uh, But Danny Shimon is here. Danny, how are you, my friend? I am here. I am excited. We are two weeks away from the NFL draft, and uh, like I said last week, man, this this is you know this is you know Christmas time for me. You know, wrapping all the gifts and putting them under the tree, and now counting all your gifts. And this is this is where it gets all nice, and you know the juices get flowing, and and you know everyone gets excited about about who the Bears are going to pick or who you know their respective team that they're rooting for is going to be picking. So very very excited for today's show. Well, I know on the top of your Christmas list was Eric Edholm. You said, please get this guy on. I love talking football yeah. with him. And guess what? Here's your present. <laughs> Eric hey. Edholm was with us. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the lead draft analyst over at Yahoo Sports. Eric, how are you? Well, I'm doing great. I got to say, though, you know, if if I'm atop your Christmas list, you got to make a better list, man. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, I, I'm happy to be here. More than thrilled to come on. But I'm telling you, aim higher, man. I'm not that great. I, I love talking ball with you. I love talking draft with you and so that's that's the thing it's like uh we, you know, we connected back at the uh, in senior bowl a couple years yeah. ago and ever since then it, it's been an awesome guest every year so we well jumping I, out with I, I think of myself as the uh you know the the socks of of christmas gifts but i appreciate all the the, the bouquets <laughs> you're throwing my way yeah Hey, Eric, uh, I'd like to ask you a, a couple of quick questions before I take off and take care of some of my own family. Yeah. <laughs> um, you live in Chicago. I mean, I you do. cover the uh, entire NFLs, but you live in Chicago. You, you, So you're pretty close to what is going on with the Chicago Bears. What do you think about the plan that Ryan Poles has put in place? It's basically a destroy everything and start from scratch. Is this something that you're comfortable with as an analyst? And first of all, just for the local folks, I don't live in the city proper. I know that's a big issue when you say when you're from <laughs> Chicago, right? I, I live out in the northwest suburbs, but I did live in the city for a long time. So I, I can kind of claim that. Yeah, I mean, I, I figured there would be, you know, some sort of uh, house cleaning that that was, uh, you know, a good spring cleaning. Everyone needs one, right? Anytime a new, uh, you know, a GM or scouting staff takes over a new coaching staff as well, you're going to see changes. You're going to see people they're familiar with that they bring in and say, all right, I know this person can do this thing. We've seen that a couple times with the Bears. You know, I mean, obviously, I think people were maybe expecting some real fireworks, you know, some big uh, free agent splashes. I, I, I feel like, you know, even without the first round pick, that was a, that was a big ask. And, and I think they had to do some, um, you know, some maintenance work first before they could, uh, uh, you know, put on a fresh coat of paint on the outside. So, you know, it's it's a part of a process. And, you know, I thought the Bears depth was a real problem last year at times and injuries and things like that. When they had their, you know, starters four or five years ago, they were in great shape, but slowly it's eroded over time. And that's, you know, that's part of the issue. 
And how big of a challenge does Ryan Poles face here? I mean, uh, obviously not not the greatest cap situation, at least for the 2022 season, but he's clearing up cap space for 2023. Sure. Not a lot of draft capital this year. So far, they've got all their draft capital next year. Is this something that you think that Bears fans can be hopeful that by as early as 2023, we could walk away with at least a winning record and, and a playoff push? Right. I mean, obviously just big picture you look and you say you know where the vikings and lions are in kind of the same space that the bears are in trying to you know figure out their identity new new regime in minnesota one year old group in in detroit and you know a lot of work done in those places as well and and you know obviously the packers still the you know ahead of the division but you know towards the end of the aaron rodgers era and everything so you know big picture i think they're in a really good spot especially if justin fields pans out the way you know, a lot of people think he can, and myself included. I, I'm, I'm a, you know, I'm still buying stock, and you know, still believing in his upward uh, mobility if they can help him out. You know, there's obviously some some offensive needs that I think will be addressed either in the draft or in, you know, the remaining free agents after the draft. And you know, that's sort of one caveat I'll give to people who feel like, you know, they didn't get their Christmas list crossed off, everything they asked for. It's tough, first of all, without a first round pick to do that, and. Second of all, you know, th there are many ways to fill needs. The draft is, I, I think, really theoretically the last way you should be filling needs. Not, you know, not that you can't, of course. Uh, if everything lines up, your highest rate of players fill areas of, of big need, that's great. You know, you, you cross that box off. But, you know, realistically, you know, you're, you're, you're trying to accumulate talent. The Bears still have a talent void um, that needs to be filled. So it takes time. Yeah. I mean, by next year, I would assume they're going to be in a much cleaner place than where they are right now, but it's there, there are far worse teams as well. And my last question before I turn it over to Danny is there was a prominent, uh, uh, reporter, uh, who created quite a stir on Chicago sports radio and throughout social media saying that this was perhaps a season that the bears were going to, the bears brass was going to evaluate uh, quarterback, Justin Fields. And it's almost like a prove it year for yeah. that young quarterback. Um, and that's actually something that, uh, Kevin Fishbane here locally had written about at the athletic, uh, uh two or three weeks ago, that this was kind of an evaluation year. Uh, do you, take that kind of mindset if you are a new general manager and working with a very young quarterback who you did not draft yeah. or what, what's your overall opinion on that anything fishbane writes is garbage let me tell you no i i used to, i used to, i know i've known kevin a long time we, we're buddies yeah no i mean it, it's a fair point right i think that was probably true you know with Mitch Trubisky you know and so obviously who's taken higher than fields and, and costs more and so yeah I mean that's going to be true anytime that GM and that head coach weren't part of the selection process and you know I mean year one was you know you give them an incomplete grade I think because they again there were some good things the things we liked um, second half in Pittsburgh looked great and you know there was some uh, you know, the plays in, I think it was the 49ers game that was, you know, the eye opening and, and things that make you think, boy, with, with a better surrounding cast, things can be really exciting around here. But um, yeah, I, I would say that's not out of the ordinary, but I wouldn't say that, you know, Ryan Poles was secretly telling journalists, hey, you know, make sure you put it out there that we don't like fields or that we're evaluating. I don't think it's one of, because that has happened in the past where, you know, people with teams that are connected and, and kind of drop hints that, you know, 
maybe we're not as thrilled with the quarterback as the fans seem to be. And, you know, that's definitely occurred in the past, but this is probably as much typical procedure as, as, as it can be, I think. Very cool. All right. I'll be listening in on my uh, modern uh, transistor radio. And <laughs> I'll be back uh, really soon. Uh, Danny, have fun. Yeah, you can walk away, Aldo. I, I got this from here. <laughs> you know, so just kind of touching real quick there, Eric, on, on terms of Aldo brought up the, that the Bears are kind of doing, or Ryan Pohl specifically doing a little bit of house cleaning here. I, I've heard a lot of you know, steam pick up in terms of the Robert Quinn trade rumors. You know, typically when there's when there's you know steam, there's a fire or you know, how yeah. the saying goes. But have you heard anything? And do you think that's something that could come to fruition during the draft or maybe even you know like a day or two prior to the draft starting? Yeah, you know, it's not something I'd thought of previously, or at least in the last, you know, couple weeks or anything like that. I know it had been mentioned as a possibility, some people speculating, you know, obviously, we know, Max gone and, you know, other other pieces have been kind of blown up a little bit. But, you know, it, you know, it's not the kind of thing that was on my front burner or anything like that, but wouldn't shock me, you know, absolutely. I mean, it, it would, it would certainly leave a void and, and make you kind of wonder who, you know, the rushers are going to be, and would that just all of a sudden vault to the, to the top spot? You know, it's a different defensive system. So certainly anytime you have a major change like that, you're, you're going to look into the possibility, but, uh, and teams always need pass rushers. He's coming off a great year. Like his value couldn't be higher, especially boy, when you consider what happened in 2020, it right. felt like Quinn was just a, a shocking disappointment. Um, and to have him come back and, and, and play the way he did last year was, you know, pretty eye-opening for me, and I was I was almost as surprised as I was him playing poorly the year before. So, yeah, I, again, without without knowing his financial numbers, uh, we, I would say it's 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 highly likely or possible. I got my eyes on the Chiefs because the Chiefs are looking for sure. a, a pass rusher. They they have a multiple. I think they have twelve picks coming into the draft, and That's obviously right. the connection between Poles and Veach and, 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 and that could be something that just just to keep an eye on and see what happens there with with uh, with KC. But uh, you know, heading to the draft here, you know, my favorite time of year, as I mentioned earlier, you know, beginning of the show, uh, two weeks from tonight, it'll be uh, round one in in Vegas, Nevada, and that should be wild. Are you gonna be are you gonna be at the draft this year, or are you gonna be doing it from home? You know, you're like the third person to ask me today, and the answer, and sadly, is no. And I have some ah. family out there I haven't seen in forever. In fact, one not since my wedding. But yeah, I was originally I was sort of thinking about going, but um, we weren't able to get our live show out there and everything. And so I'll be staying here from uh, from the burbs uh, watching on TV, which is too bad because I'm sure Vegas is going to be a spectacle. And yeah. you know, I know how badly they wanted the draft two years ago when the when the pandemic shut everything down. Right. If this is this is the one year to attend the draft is, is this year the Vegas year. I, I, like I said, it's going to be. I think it's going to be off the chart in terms yeah. of activities and fun and all that stuff. But getting to the actual draft itself, so obviously, it's, I, I think the build up to the draft is at least for me, it's been kind of that whole hum in terms of like you know there wasn't the big star, you know, like the, the big quarterback class was you know was last year and yeah, and, and everyone's kind of just you know kind of you know throwing out stuff. I think Jacksonville even mentioned, uh, Belk even mentioned that, that no one's even calling for that first overall pick. So mm-hmm. I, I'm curious, you know, if, if, you know, typically when we go into a draft, not expecting big things to happen, we get shocked. Right. So, you know, like, do you have any uh, an idea of if you had to guess in terms of what would be the biggest headline we'll see coming out of this draft, say, say come Monday morning, what do you think would be? Yeah. I mean, I think it would be, you know, the kind of thing that would, that would really shock people would be, now, and again, this isn't me predicting it's necessarily going to happen, but something that's, you know, even semi-plausible, Kenny Pickett falling, right? And I'm not just saying that because he wasn't on the draft invite list. He has plans, apparently. He's going to be with his family or whatever. But, you know, I mean, if there's a quarterback you could see possibly sliding a little bit more 
uh, than some of the mock drafts have him. I think he's probably the guy, you know. So, like you said, not a lot of blue chip talent, uh, you know, and that's not besmirching, you know, the guys who are right. going to go the first 10 picks. It's just not the same type of thing without at least one Trevor Lawrence level prospect or, you know, or somebody who's a little bit more of a lightning rod or what have you. So we don't have that this year. Um, you know, uh, the quarterback scenarios are really interesting, you know, where Malik Willis ends up going and, uh, you know, do we get a third quarterback or a second quarterback for that matter in the first round? I think the answer is probably yes, but you never know. And, you know, there's some people who have a high appreciation for Desmond Ritter. You know, maybe they right. look at Ritter and see a little bit more steady performer than Pickett. So, you know, I'm, again, if I were to just to sort of look at the the possible shocker, that that might be it. I don't know how far he'd fall, but, you know, there, there are some teams, so I don't necessarily feel like have, uh, you know, franchise quarterback stamped all over him or anything like that. So, you know, it's, it's something that would be worth watching. In, in terms of that, those first 15 players or so, you know, that that range, who do you think will be the make the biggest impact next year as a rookie if, if you had to pick one guy? Yeah, I mean, I, it's an easy choice. And I think Aiden Hutchinson just is such a high floor player. He's going to work his way into a lineup and, you know, have a successful career. But I think he's just going to be ready for the rigors of the NFL early on, even if he is a little bit shorter armed than you like. And, you know, I mean, may not be a true sack artist at the next level. I guess the question would be which receiver would, would jump because you know the last couple of years we've had some incredible rookie receiver performances mm -hmm. wasn't always the case in the past it took two three years for some of these guys to develop um, you know it, depending on where Chris Olave lands I think you know his experience and his route running craftiness and everything I think he has a chance to be a really good rookie maybe not quite on that Jamar Chase you know Justin Jefferson right. level but. You know, could he be as good as Terry McLaurin was a couple of years ago? Yeah. You know, Devontae Smith last year, sure. Jalen Waddell, et cetera. You know, I, I wouldn't be shocked if he lands in a prolific offense to see him really do well early on. Yeah, I mean, obviously receiver is a hot topic here in Chicago. You know, the fans are, are – our listeners are, are avid about in terms of, you know, they want us to break down – Neil and I to break down the receiving class. And I, I, I keep telling you, there's a lot of depth in this class. Mm -hmm. I love Chris Olave. I, I love Garrett Wilson as well. Uh, it's it just, it's kind of weird because the top two players in this draft are, are what everyone is deeming the top two players and Jamison Williams and Drake London are both coming off of, you know, injuries. So it's kind of right. hard to gauge in terms of how far or how high these guys are going. But yeah, Chris Olave is a guy that, you know, it could be a, a major impact player uh, in that receiving core, depending again, like you mentioned, which team he lands with. So we'll yep. keep an eye on that and see, see how that goes there. But, you know, talking about the bears, you know, like, in, in terms of the receiving core, like who is a guy that that do you think could be in that that prime top of the second round area? I, I mean, you know, we've been going through a list of, of players here with, with with our listeners to try to give them an idea. Guys like Christian Watson and mm -hmm. my my personal favorite. I don't know if he's going to make it there. Is, is Traylon Burks? And I know, so we'll see that. But uh, yeah. you know, a couple of names of, of guys that Bears fans can kind of just kind of hone in on and, and just say, you know, it could be there for a possibility at, at pick either thirty nine or forty eight. Yeah, so let's start with who isn't going to be there. Are the ones that I'm, you know, almost certain. Garrett Wilson's not going to be there. Chris Olave is going to be gone. Drake London, you know, there's a scenario where he could slide. I don't think he gets out of the first round, though. So let's count those three. Burks, I suppose it's possible, but I think people view him as unusual enough to, to land in round one, and, and I suspect he'll end up being you know, a top 25 player or what have you. I think just that that run of teams that need receivers in that range is going to be 
too greedy, you know, and I think they're, right. they're going to, they're going to snap him up. And, and uh, I don't know who I'm forgetting, but Jahan Dotson would be the mm-hmm. sixth guy. If I haven't mentioned, if I've mentioned five already. So I think there's a good chance that those six go in round one Dotson, right. you know, 50, 50, maybe 60, 40, he goes right. in round one. Then we get into the George Pickens. Does he make it into round one or is he there at 39? Uh, you know, Sky Moore from Western Michigan, really intriguing kid, high school quarterback, uh, corner, Stepped right in that, you know, looked like he'd played receiver his whole life and, and has turned into a nice little player. Uh, Watson, interesting player, can be used in the run game, uh, unselfish guy, leaping ability, certainly has to be on the, the map. Um, I know a player the Bears have done a lot of work on would probably, you know, I think maybe at what is it, 39 they pick mm-hmm. at or whatever. Yeah. Yep. I think it may be a little rich for 39, but Alec Pierce from yeah. Cincinnati, yep. he's obviously. You know, I've, I've heard him described as a, a faster Adam Thielen and, you know, I mean, or, you know, that type of guy, right. I guess. Pierce makes a lot of sense. So if they don't go receiver at, at 39 or, you know, there's uh, – and where's their next pick? It's got to be – It's 48. That's the 48. pick they got for Cleo for Mack. It's, it's right. Yeah. Yep. So that pick, you know, that could be your receiver, especially if they feel like they have – a corner, a lineman, uh, you know, pass rusher, I would think. If one of those players they feel like is just too good to pass up, they can double back with the receiver and that that say Jalen Tolbert too. I forgot about yeah. him. I really like him. And yeah, me too. You know, you saw him in, in Mobile and and so yeah, I mean that's that's kind of the the lot of of characters, at least in terms of the guys who could, you know, contribute right away. John Mechie with the injury, I would say right. probably not. David Bell, maybe a little bit lower, but those are all guys in that mix. Right. But the, you just rattle off like 10, 12 names off the top yeah. of your head here. And I keep telling the, our listeners, like our fans, I'm like, listen, there's going to be talent here. So if they don't go, because I think they're going to go offensive line, defensive line possibility for yep. two picks because, you know, with the uh, open Joby uh, contract falling through, yep. you know, I know they signed Justin Jones and they brought in the, the kid from the Colts, but he's more of a rotational defensive end. Yep. I still think that, that that three technique is, is a prime position of, if a guy that I'm, the kid I like is, is the guy from uh, from Houston is Logan Hall. I know he's yep. been he's been targeted as as a defensive end, probably a five technique, but I could see him playing that three technique in this in this system, especially with that get off he's got. So I think someone like that, someone like Travis Jones, you know, don't uh, you know don't think, think fans out there don't think that they're not going to go defensive line here with one of these two picks as well. So the yeah. depth here at, at at receiver is 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 pretty talented. So besides the receiving group, you know, which other group do you think? position group do you think would make the biggest impact coming out of this draft Mm, good question i would probably say offensive tackle has a pretty good chance you know assuming that you know people are looking at kwanu and neil as as tackles and you know some of the other guys who you know you could put them at guard and be fine with them there um you know i think that's a that's a pretty pretty strong group overall um and you know it's interesting with the bears too obviously i think you know, you would assume maybe it's a little bit more focus on the interior, but you could see them certainly drafting somebody who could play either tackle or guard and then just sort of figure out what you have with, um, you know, with Teva Jenkins and Borum and everybody and, and kind of, you know, pick the best five, if you will. So, you know, that's that's certainly one approach, I would say, to uh, to filling that need. But, yeah, I think with, you know, Equanu, Neil, Charles Cross, you know, Trevor Penning, uh, Tyler Smith, the kid, a lot of people have, have kind of warmed up right, to, right. you know, Bernard Raymond, I think could be a guard, but he could also play tackle too. Um, I'm a big fan of Abraham Lucas. I think he's got to be on the bears radar as well from Washington state. Um, 
you know, it's 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 pretty good top heavy group, and then the the middle is okay. So if the Bears, you know, are thinking offensive line, I'm kind of of the same belief as you that, you know, with the defensive line, there, there may be a priority to get those guys because it's good at the top, but I think there is a a diminishing return point where, you know, when you start getting into the the latter stage, I think tackles a little bit more shallow than say receiver, you know, receiver right. is less top heavy, but there are more options, right. but tackle, you know, there's really only about a dozen I like, but of the dozen, I think a, a high percentage will be pretty good. Well, one guy I've been at tackle, I've been pounding the table for here is, is Nicholas Petit Ferre from, from Ohio state. I, yeah. I really, I really like his potential. I, I, he's not fully there. I mean, he still has some, some work to do, but just the athletic ability, the way he gets out of his stance. And I just, cause he played with Justin Fields at Ohio state. Not that's sure. not the reason why I like him. Right. I'm just, I just like the athletic ability. Obviously the, the bears are going to that, you know, uh, that Kyle Shanahan, you know, sort of, you know, a wide zone scheme. You're going to need yep. athletic blockers. So I think he's a kid too. If he's there, you know, maybe 48 or 39 might be a little too rich for him. We'll see how it goes. Maybe they trade down. So that's another name that I've been pounding the table for here at, at, at for, uh, is Nicholas Petit Ferre. What do you think of that kid? From yeah. I mean, I think he could, you could get him in the third round. I think you okay. can get him in the third. That's, that's at least the feedback I've been getting. On the one hand, I think people made too much of of his struggles against Hutchinson in that right. one game. Yeah, it was, you know, it's it's easy to pick on somebody because you watched a couple highlights or whatever. Right. I mean, you obviously can see some of the the growth a little bit, and they ran a, you know, obviously kind of a, a zone scheme and an RPO type of offense. Mm-hmm. So there would be some easy crossover there. Uh, you know, I also think you know Ohio State fans were a little bit jaded in the sense that he was such an elite prospect coming in and he never quite fulfilled the promise. You know, I mean, I think he was sort of, you know, I can't remember exactly where he was, but I want to say he was, he was one of those elite recruits. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I sort of feel like there was a little bit of a stigma against him, but, you know, huge wingspan, big hands, you know, he's, he's pretty fluid guy. Like you said, athletically, Um, you know, did some, some better testing in his pro day too. I mean, he was, you know, the, I think the, combine vertical jump number was shockingly low and then i think he did like six inches better or something at his pro day so yeah i mean he tends to get really high as some of those tall uh tall linemen do high in his stance and you know there's there's still some a little bit of awkwardness in his Mm -hmm. movement at times but easy to see with his you know light feet good frame long arms you know i mean he's he's got all the 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 right pieces to put it together you put him with a good old line coach and and he could be a fine tackle in this league right especially like i said if you get him if you get him lucky enough to get him in the third round i think that's a high quality value pick there for them yeah uh, 60 to 90 i would say maybe like is the range for him somewhere in that range yeah, we'll we'll see we'll see where that where that kid goes. But yeah, I mean, I, th- I think he could be a potentially come in and, and be eventually be a starter here at, at left tackle. So, yep. um, and in, in terms of like, the, there's a player generally, you know, you're looking back at these some of these drafts and two three years down the road, you're like, oh man, that guy really flew under the radar. I mean, like, where'd he come from? And and whether the kid goes in the second round, he goes in the third round, or he goes day three, you know, is there a particular player or players that you have identified, you know, kind of re- researching this draft, scouting these players that you think, hey, you know what, two three years from now, this kid's gonna be like, huh. You know, this this kid really made made an impact in, in the league, and we didn't think he was going to be that big of a, a player. Yeah, basically, how did he go as late as he did, right? I right. mean, that's that's the question we end up asking uh, every year. Um, you know, I guess it, uh, a potentially obvious one would be – well, I shouldn't say obvious. If you follow the draft closely, sometimes I'm so in the weeds on this stuff. I don't know what it, people, other people know and everything. But, 
you know, Jelani Woods was kind of a combine, uh, you know, little, he had his little star day when he worked out at 253 pounds and ran a four, six, you know, crazy jumping numbers. And people look and said, Hey, okay, this kid averaged 14 yards a catch and, you know, had touchdowns in eight different games. And, you know, he blocks, he run blocks. Well, what, what's not to love, but you know, he's really essentially a one-year wonder after transferring from Oklahoma state, but you know, it was like the, the light just went on and the opportunity was there, right? They weren't going to ever really feature him at OSU. He moves to Virginia and suddenly he's part of a, a big passing game there. And, you know, is there still some some rawness to his game? Yes, he's not quite the big play threat everyone wants to make him be. But I would say, you know, at tight end, he and Greg Dulcich from, uh, from UCLA. Yeah. I think both those guys, I think, are going to surprise some people what they can do. Like you said, maybe not right away as rookies, but down the road um you know obviously the injured players you know if they come back who knows where justin ross is you know in his rehab but he was so good as a freshman uh you know i would probably say the same thing for for pickens as well you know his 2019 tape is downright exciting um you know john mechie i think is a really good player who once he's healthy will be good and um you know i'm just trying to think of that maybe that real diamond in the rough Tyler Smith, I mentioned earlier, the Tulsa tackle, yep. you know, a lot of penalties, some sloppy. He's a bear hugger. You know, when he gets beat, he kind of panics a little bit. But, you know, I've seen enough, you know, flexibility, strength, power, you know, uh, unusual traits for, for a guy who was lightly recruited, you know, at a, at a, at a you know, sub power five school or whatever. I just, there, there's something about him. I kept, coming back to him and saying i i think there's a player here i right. really think you know yeah. and if you can cut down on the penalties and and you know get him to not be so reactive and grabby like that i mean i right. he, he could be fun yeah i mean naturally he's got the athletic ability the size to play left tackle or even, even yeah. left guard if you will but but yeah you could say he's just technique wise he's you can see he's a little rougher on the edges but that's a definitely Absolutely. guy you could just what i call developmental prospect bring him in you coach him up and next thing you know you have like i said diamond in the rough so yep yeah, but you know this is gonna be a very very interesting draft here coming up. You know, in, in a couple of weeks, so we'll see what happens. In terms of the, around the league, you know, like we're, we're obviously we're focused on the Bears here. In terms of around the league, what are some of the storylines you're gonna be looking for, and uh, we're heading into this draft? It, well, one of them is a non-draft one, and it keeps coming up, and we kind of keep ignoring it and pushing it to the side and say, well, there's that's not a thing yet. But what's going on with Kyler Murray and the and the Arizona Cardinals? Mm-hmm. And yeah. You know, I don't necessarily think he's going to get traded by draft day, but the story's not going away. And whether it's player-driven, agent-driven, team-driven, all of the above, I don't know, but that's one. I, I think a veteran receiver will go, whether it's, you know, in the next 13 days or perhaps on night one of the draft, whether it's, you know, DK Metcalf. I don't know about Debo Samuel. I haven't talked to San Francisco yet. Uh, I haven't really heard whether they're even interested in trading them, but you know, Terry McLaurin in Washington. I mean, again, okay. I, I don't, they, they would only be trading them for financial reasons, right? I mean, the same reason the chiefs traded Tyreek Hill and um, you know, the uh, Packers traded Devante and, and so on and so forth. I mean, I wrote about that story today. I think there's going to be an earlier than expected or a early run on receivers because the theory is, Okay, you get you lose talent, but you get a player at twenty five percent of the salary or whatever the number ends up being. That's a real motivator for team. If quarterback right. salaries are as high as they are, great. 
wide receivers, some team can deal with it, some can't. So right. that's a position that I think you know the, the draft will end up providing uh, those teams a little bit of relief for. Yeah, obviously here in Chicago, we you know the the rumors are, are you know maybe Green Bay could be sniffing around DK Metcalf, and that's obviously that's one combination you don't want to see here in oh, Chicago yeah. with this Aaron Rodgers and, and DK Metcalf teaming up there in Green Bay. Uh, but yeah, I mean, in terms of like around the league, I just kind of just pulling back and looking and seeing what's going on. It's been a real busy offseason, real real crazy offseason, yeah. you know, between the quarterback movement, the the receivers, and the big money and all these trades. So yeah, uh, you know, just a couple of questions I, I have for you in terms of the just overall league. Like, what is Bill Belichick doing at offensive coordinator? Please tell me he's not going to put Matt Patricia back there or Joe Judge as offensive coordinator with with you know I'm I'm a big Mac Jones fan and I do not want to see that kid being coached up by Joe Judge or, or, or Matt Patricia. Yeah, I mean Bill has always kind of done things his way, right? And he's made you know unpopular coaching hires, unpopular draft picks, and you know more often than not it works out. He's been very sort of you know coy about the whole thing and and you know suggesting that. Yes, those guys are going to be coaching on the offensive side of the ball. You know, it wasn't entirely clear who was calling the defense last year. Was it his son, Brian? Was it Jared Mayo? You know, was it him? Was it what was going on? So hard to know where this one goes. Bill typically doesn't go outside the building very often. He hired Dean Pease a few years, you know, years ago. Dean's a really good defensive mind, but he and Bill didn't see eye to eye. You know, they weren't on the same page, so it didn't work out. They hired... The offensive line coach, who I think is with the Jets now, uh, Dave um, Blanken on his last name. But, you know, it, 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 I remember him ripping him a new one on the sideline in the AFC Championship game at Denver. You know, so I, I just sort of feel like Bill likes grooming his guys. And when two of his former coaches come free and they, you know, they rejoin the staff, you can kind of work out titles later. I mean, I, I, I the answer is I don't know. And Bill may not let it be known until we get to a certain point when he's comfortable saying, okay, so-and-so's doing this and so-and-so's doing that. It's going to be an unusual such situation, no doubt about it, especially with the young quarterback, as you pointed out. Yeah. That, that, that's I don't want Mac Jones to get, get ruined by anything by Matt Patricia or Joe Judge has to coach him up with. But, uh, yep. you know, I see Aldo just popped in the chat here. But real quick, though, I, I did see something on Twitter that you were involved in a story, breaking a story, or, or you had parts of the story in terms of Tom Brady, possibly if if there wasn't the the uh, whole uh, Brian Flores uh, a lawsuit that he could have been owner, part owner of, of the Dolphins. Is that true? Well, yeah, this was now, so I was on the podcast, you pod to win the game over at Yahoo Sports. Check it out if you haven't, but uh, Charles Robinson's the main host and he rotates in his guests. I happen to, you know, I'm in there more often and during draft time. And so, you know, he said, he said, usually we have a script that we kind of, you know, not a, you know, word for word, but uh, a guideline to keep us going. And it was blank for the first block. He said, I'm just going to throw this scenario at you. I want to see what you think. I kind of knew where he was going, but yeah, he laid it out. He had a great sort of explainer about kind of the, the mechanisms that were at play about how, you know, Bruce Arians retirement actually had something to do with the Brian Flores uh, lawsuit. And and I, it's better left to have him kind of describe that, but yeah, there was, there was a scenario where the, the quarterback that was, that was uh, left, you know, unnamed in, in the suit that Ross, the owner, asked uh, Flores, the coach, to to go uh, court, you know, and try to bring to the Dolphins. A lot of people thought it was Deshaun Watson. It was actually Tom Brady. Wow. Interesting, right? Yeah. And, and now there's this sort of, 
you know, galaxy brain version of, hey, did Bill Belichick accidentally text the wrong Brian? You know that whole story, right? <laughs> or was he playing 44D chess, and this was his way of kind of blowing up Brady wow. going to the Dolphins? I mean, Bill's incredible, right? We all give him that, but I don't know. That may be a little beyond his his abilities to see that far, you know, that many moves ahead, right? Uh, Magnus Carlson of NFL coaches, but yeah, I don't know. I, I I definitely think that there was some tension between Brady and Arians. There was a scenario in play where Brady wanted to go to Miami. There was a scenario where San Francisco was, was a possibility. And one way or another, it led to Arians – moving up to the front office and, and and Todd Bowles getting the job. So I'm sure they'll try to sweep it under the rug and keep that as, you know, Pollyanna-ish as they can. But we all know there was something else, a, a, a brewing. And I think there was a lot more than, uh, you know, including this story than, the, than we really know. Sometimes the things that we never hear about are more interesting than the things we do hear about. Oh, yes. A hundred times out of a hundred. Absolutely. <laughs> Even three or sure. four years later, this story would have been like, what? Yeah. Are you kidding? Yeah. You know, so, yeah. I mean, whenever – and that's a good reminder to, 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 to us journalists. Like, you know, just because a transaction happened doesn't mean there isn't a story behind it, right? You make those calls and you find out, hey, how did this go down? And who was this person talking to? And – you know, it, it sometimes reveals the craziest of scenarios if you do the right homework. Awesome. Eric, uh, for those of us, uh, for those people who are listening to the audio version of this show, could you uh -huh. let them know where they can contact you on Twitter and where they can find your work and tell us what you're working on uh, that's coming up? Yeah, you said contact me. I thought you were going to have me give out my cell phone or something like that. <laughs> Whoa, buddy, hold on now. Yeah, I don't want these people reaching out to me. Yes, uh, Twitter is Eric, E-R-I-C underscore Ed Holm, E-D-H-O-L-M. And uh, yeah, I'm just uh, cranking out the draft reports. I've got about 70 of them so far. I've got my overall rankings there. And, and if you wouldn't mind me uh, plugging the uh, – uh, in honor of our, our uh, late colleague, Therese Paler, who died a little over a year ago, uh, his all-juice team was, you know, his baby. That was, you know, uh, effort, performance, attitude. He tried to fill a 22-man roster with, you know, the guys that really he liked the best, but the guys who checked those boxes. And we pitched it for him last year after his passing, and, and we tried to do our best. I feel a little bit more confident about, this year's group, it's going to drop early next week, and we're real excited about it. So that's one of the big things I've been working on lately. Fabulous. We'll awesome. make sure to share that on our social media Thank channels. Thank you. I appreciate that. You're the absolute best, Eric. Yes, Although the, the the guy that's going to follow you is going to argue that he's the absolute best. Do, do you know this gentleman here, Mark Schofield? Yes, I do. In fact, <laughs> I would argue it's guaranteed he's better than I am. I would have Mark on <laughs> 10 times out of 10 over May. He's the quarterback whisperer, the guru. Although you guys don't have any quarterback questions, I don't think he's anything. <laughs> you know, I've seen I've seen Mark's uh, rankings. I got a couple questions for his rankings. Okay. Oh, look at that. <laughs> I may stick around and listen here because I need all the help I can get. No, <laughs> listen to what I'm going to say, Eric, and do the exact opposite. That'll be the best. No, <laughs> never. Eric, you're the absolute best, second or second best. Uh, that's to be determined, I guess. Uh, thanks again for uh, spending some time with us today. I had a great time, fellas. Stay okay. Thanks, thanks, bye Eric. Bye. Mark, how are you, my friend? I, I am doing well. I'm excited to be back. I'm excited that it's 
under different circumstances than, than say last year's appearance when, as Eric kind of pointed out, you guys were in the middle of the, the quarterback discussion and what you guys were going to do uh, with respect to the quarterback position. It's a little different this year. Um, obviously the bears have a uh, different draft status as they did um, in contrast to last year, but at the same time, you don't have to worry about trying to make sense of this quarterback class. So you guys at least have that going for you. Mm -hmm. yes. And we are, we are thrilled uh, Mark to not have to be looking at those quarter at this, this year's quarterback yeah. class. That, but the, I mean, if I remember correctly, you or your team, obviously you're, you're a Patriots fan. Your team was in the, that quarterback, uh, you know, uh, Mary go round, if you will, last year. And then we, you know, under with Mac, Mac Jones, obviously had a, you know, pretty good, pretty good season. Mac Jones was, was a guy I was, I was high on coming out, out of college yep. as well. And um, so I, I just asked this question to Eric earlier. I'm like, what is Bill Belichick doing in terms of the offensive coordinator? I mean, please tell me Joe judge or Matt Patricia is not going to be calling plays in the helmet of one Mac cast one Mac Jones, please. Yeah. I mean, Danny, I mean, I was very interested to hear what Eric said in response to that. I was hoping he was going to break some news that, you know, they had hired Bill O'Brien or they convinced, you know, Sean McVay to, you know, suddenly become an offensive coordinator because as it stands right now, it looks like it's going to be either Joe Judge or Matt Patricia and Bill Belichick has sort of said that, look, these guys have offensive backgrounds. Joe Judge with some time as a wide receivers coach. Patricia sort of started out on the offensive side of the ball before moving over to the defensive side of the ball. But it, it's worrisome to me. And I, I, it's not just me. Look, Dan Orlovsky said it. I believe it was last week that in, in terms of the entire NFL landscape, this is the thing that concerns him the most about any single team and a single player is the idea that Matt Jones might be in the situation where, like you said, you've got guys that have more defensive or special teams experience calling plays for him. And it's concerning on a number of levels, not just, you know, guys that are going to be calling plays for the first time now working with a rookie, uh, well, a second year at this point quarterback, but, the continuity around the quarterback position, around the young quarterback, is so critical for a young quarterback's development. It's something that obviously Bears fans are keenly aware of, given the Mitchell Trubisky situation and now year two of Justin Fields. And the idea that you are now putting Mac Jones in the hands of a first-time play caller, regardless of who it is, and it's now his second offensive coordinator in the NFL, his third offensive coordinator in three years, dating back to his time at Alabama, that's not a great start. That's not always conducive to successful quarterback development and so it's certainly concerning um we'll wait and see hopefully they figure it out the patriots over time have sort of been able to figure things out as they move along but it's not the best setup sitting here right now two weeks before the draft this uncertainty about who's going to be calling plays next year Hmm. Yeah, it's, it's just really puzzling. And that, it's not like Bill Belichick not to have a plan. So I'm sure he's got a plan. So we'll see how, how it plays out. But obviously, we are we are bear centric here at, at the bar room. And uh, so, you know, we're, we're going through the bears. We, we talked about it earlier in terms of, you know, they don't have a first round pick, you know, because of that Justin Fields trade last year. Uh, you know, they're looking right now at, at pick 39 and 48. The, the 40th pick is the one they got from the Chargers for uh, Khalil Mack. So, you know, obviously, the needs for the bears, you know, receiver, offensive line cornerback you know we, we, those are the three top you know you know positions if you will if, if you throw it up there and say any one of those three guys with those you know first three picks you know should be should be good players so going to the receiver side and obviously this is another loaded class um and i read your article in terms of you know the, the class being you know bigger in terms of your i think we uh, you added three or four more players this year to your top list than, than uh, the previous year so um you know just just go through i, I know drake london is, is your top guy and and i'm a big drake london fan 
however, coming off that ankle injury and not not having that speed, the explosiveness, like a like a Garrett Wilson, for example, who I think is like fourth or fifth on on your list. You're curious how you how do you come to that to that decision in terms of your you know uh, London first and then Drake uh, Garrett Wilson, sorry, uh, fifth or fourth. Yeah, I mean, and you know this Danny, this wide receiver class, even at the top, I mean, they're all extremely talented players and. As I sort of wrote in that breakdown of these players, you're going to tell me that one or two or three of these different guys are your wide receiver one. If you could ask five different people, you might get five different answers. I certainly understand that there is a case for Garrett Wilson to be a wide receiver one, whether it's the production he showed at Ohio State, the explosive playmaking skills, what he offers after the catch. There are certainly things that he does at a very high level. What I really like about Drake London, though, he has that ability to be that sort of – he can be an ex-receiver – Certainly a lot of people look at him as potentially a big slot at the next level, but he has that ability and experience to win on the outside, win on the boundary as that X receiver where you don't get the benefit of the two-way go or sort of, you know, tighter alignment where you have that two-way go, whether it's a slot or a flanker type alignment. He's got a lot of experience against press aligned defenders and he separates in two different ways, whether it's late in the down with his frame, his size and his ability at the catch point, or even early in the down where you see him against Washington state, you see him against Arizona where he's separating at the line of scrimmage against press aligned defenders with his footwork, with his release package. I think he's very clean off the line. And I think that puts him in a position to translate well early in his career. Wilson is sort of a guy that he's going to contribute early, but I think it's going to take some time to fill out the rest of his game. I think he's going to be a good receiver early, potentially a great receiver later down the road. I think London can step in and serve in a variety of roles, the X, the big slot, and separate early against press alignment, separate late in the down using his frame. I think that when you watch him, you see a guy that's going to separate his, his well, as he did in the Pac-12, that's going to translate to the National Football League. And that's why I'm high on him. But, you know, whether you like Olave, whether you like Williams, whether you like Wilson, whether you like Traylon Burks, I mean, these are very talented receivers. I think we're going to see whether it's five, maybe six in the first round when the first round is finally done. And then, like I said earlier, I'm a big Drake London fan. I I, I kind of comp him to a little bit of Mike Williams. I'm sorry, yeah. Mike uh, Mike Evans from the, from yep. the Buccaneers in terms yeah. of, you know, being Big body guy, guys. You know, even if he's covered, he's still open because he got the big catch radius, the the big frame. So, you know, is there any word in terms of? Uh, I, I think USC's pro day is coming up soon. Is there any word he's going to be able to work out? Yeah, they they had pushed back like his portion. They're going to like have a second sort of pro day for him. So we're finally going to get to see him test a little bit because obviously people are waiting on a forty there. They want to see some explosiveness testing from him. They want to see those agilities, see what he's able to do coming off that lower body injury. Because, I mean, the Mike Evans comparison is one thing that I've seen a lot. I think it does make a lot of sense. Similar play styles, obviously similar size. Guys that can, you know, Evans, London, they're both guys that, like you said, can win in those contested catch situations. And I know there's a bit of hesitation right now when you use the phrase sort of contested catch receiver. People think it's a nice way of saying you just can't separate. And, Look, as a Patriots guy that saw his team draft Nikhil Harry, another sort of contested catch receiver, I understand the hesitation. I think with London, though, he's a guy that can separate. People sort of gave him that contested catch receiver tag, and initially people were like, oh, that just means he can't separate. He's not going to be able to get away from corners of the NFL. I, I think when you study him, when you watch him, you'll see a guy that can separate, on certainly separated on Saturdays, and I think he's going to continue to have that ability to separate on Sundays. Yeah, like you mentioned, you know, expectation is right now is six, possibly seven receivers could go in this first round. So we'll, so we'll see how that plays out. 
Uh, you know, so I've, I've been talking to our listeners. I've been trying to tell them, hey, listen, you know, there are pl- there's a plenty of players in this in this series. There's going to be players coming in, you know, day three that are going to be able to be contributors here, you know, as as rookies. So you know, we'll we'll throw a couple names around, but you know, just kind of concentrating in that second round area, second round group. You know, a guy that I don't know if he's going to be there, but a guy I'm really high on is, is Traylon Burks from Arkansas. Uh, you know, I, I think he's being knocked around now because, you know, they don't know in terms of, you know, what he does best in terms of is he an, is he an X, is he a, is he a slot guy? You know, it, he doesn't have that, you know, blazing 4-4 four, four, four speed, but, you know, he put the tape on. The guy is just a physical presence that was 6'2", 225. Talk about a big catch radius. A guy that I've seen actually run away from defenders, you know, SEC defenders. So you talk about good athletes. So, you know, Traylon Burks, you're, you're you know, where do you think? you think he's going to be available in that top of the second round for the Bears, or do you think he's going in the first round? I, I still think he goes in the first round, and even okay. though his stock is sliding a little bit because of that 40. But I think Burks is a great example of the difference between track speed and Indian game speed on the field because, like you said, you mentioned runner – catches a comeback route against Alabama from a stopped position, accelerates away from the entire secondary for a yardage after the catch touchdown. Like you can't do that if you're not fast. I mean, you know, so he can't run a straight line 40 and four, four. Well, okay. He's also 225. And the fact that he's running the 40 and four, five at 225, I think is impressive. And, you know, his, his route tree is probably goes posts, corners, overs, more vertical stuff at the beginning. That's a lot of what Arkansas asked him to do. But I think he's quick enough and he's physical enough to be able to separate on those that that part of his game is going to translate. As far as his role, you know, maybe an X or Z type guy. Um, I, the comparisons with him and A.J. Brown, I think, make a lot of sense because yep. of their size, you know, phys- similar play styles. You know, Tennessee is interestingly enough a team that I think in that late to mid 20s would be looking at Trey Lombards. You've obviously got Green Bay and Kansas City as teams as well. And so, I think there are teams in that 20 range that are going to be very excited if they get to the podium and Burks is still available. I'd be surprised if he's there for the start of day two. Stranger things have happened, but I think his ability to win downfield, his ability to create explosive plays, and his success on downfield throws. And one of my favorite plays of his, Danny, was the back-to-back vertical routes he caught against Mississippi, where on the second one, Corners playing 10 yards off of him, Danny. He goes five yards downfield. He's still got six yards of cushion show to deal with. Throws the arm up anyway. He's like, look, I'm open. Just throw me the ball. And he went up and got it. I mean, you need that yeah. confidence as a receiver. He's an explosive ball winner. You know, he doesn't have the sort of well-rounded route tree or the quickness and change of direction skills that some of these other guys do, which is why Olave, Wilson, Williams come off the board before he does, I bet. But yeah, I think he's still going to go in the first round. All right, since you broke my heart with Traylon Brooks going in the first round, here are the guys in the second round that I'm looking at for the Bears, and and I kind of get your gauge in terms of who you think would be a better fit here for this system. We're, we're talking about Christian Watson from North Dakota State. Um, we're looking at um, maybe Jahan Dotson from Penn State, or could, he possibly could be one of the guys that goes in the first round as well. Uh, Alec Alec Pierce from uh, from Cincinnati is another guy, and and a guy that I think is going under the radar is is Guy Moore. And, and then also Jalen Tolbert. I, I watched Jalen Tolbert as you did probably down in Mobile, and he just looked the part of a receiver. You know, is he all there? Is he a finished product? No, but I, I just I like the way this kid plays, and I like you know he's got you know the big catch radius, the, the, the speed to you know get downfield as well. So all those four players, who do you think is is probably going to be a more realistic shot for the Bears at, at the top of that second round? Man, I mean that that's really tough because those are four extremely talented receivers, Danny, all of whom 
you know, I think would be contributors and somebody you know, players that could play on day one that could be really productive for any NFL offense, including the Chicago Bears. I really like Sky Moore. Uh, you know, I, I I make a lot of Patriots comparisons when I'm doing profiles, but it's hard to avoid the Edelman comparison when you're watching him because he's somebody that you know you look at from a size perspective and from a measurable perspective, and you think, yeah, he's probably a slot. But then you watch him and you see what he did at Western Michigan. You see the release package, the violence with his hands as he's beating press line defenders and defenders that are trying to jam him. You see the ability after the catch, the toughness over the middle, the fact that he's breaking tackles. I think he had 26 broken tackles last year, which was among tops among college football receivers. Just an extremely talented football player. Forget wide receiver, throw position out the window. Just a fun football player to watch. If he's there, I, I think – Given his versatility, the fact that he can play at the Z, he can play in the slot, he can play X snaps in the NFL, I think. I think if he's there at 39, you give him consideration. Watson is certainly more of that bigger Z, maybe an X type of guy, a guy that can play on the outside, that can play on the boundary, um, certainly can do some stuff in the downfield passing game. I think he's an intriguing option. But I'm really high on Alec Pierce. Um, Extremely impressive athlete. Has the volleyball background tested incredibly well at the combine, the 40 inch vertical. You know, he prides himself on being that ball winner type of guy. And you saw that catch radius. You know, he had a lot of plays where he was making adjustments to throws that were slightly off target from Desmond Ritter. I got a chance to talk to him a couple of weeks ago um, for a show that I do. And he talked about his pride in making those adjustments into bailing his quarterback out and to be in that sort of security blanket for a wide receiver. And I think young quarterbacks need to have that. I think the idea of Alec Pierce finding his way to Chicago and being a part of this offense and being a part of Justin Fields' development is something that I keep coming back to. And I think, look, at 39, at 48, I would love to see Alec Pierce find his way to the Chicago Bears. He might be there at 71. I know opinions are sort of varied on him. Some outlets some rankings have him in the sort of 60 to 70 to 80 range dane brugler i think has him in 89 i'd be fine with him at 48 i'd seriously consider him at 39 i i think the point you know that jordan's making right now that you know his ability to beat press coverage but seeing defenses sort of treat him with off coverage or give him that cushion pre-snap because of what he can do downfield is a huge sign for him as a receiving talent and so i love the idea of alec pierce to chicago I got a couple more guys and maybe day three guys I want to talk to you about, but just going back on Pierce real quick. Do you think he's dropping because of the lack of production at Cincinnati? Maybe this is the one year he had a real one, just a big year, the injuries. You think it's a combination of all that? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a couple of things. I think it's the injuries. I think it's the sort of one year wonder situation, Danny. I think it's also the a reflection of the talent of this receiver group. I mean, uh, in a couple, a couple of years ago, a receiver that put up those kind of combine tested numbers, we'd be talking about as a surefire round one. We'd be saying, look, this guy's going on night one. Now it's like, will he be there at 71? Might he be there early on day three? I mean, I think it speaks to the depth, and this is sort of what I, I talked about in my the rankings piece you referenced. It speaks to the depth of this group, that a guy that put up the numbers from a testing perspective, from a metrics and athletic perspective that Alec Pierce did, combined with the production he had last year, a team that made it to the you know college playoffs, we're talking about him potentially being available like later on day two. It's just in another sort of bit of evidence that this is an extremely talented wide receiver group. So a couple of guys, well, actually one guy that I would pound on the table for, you know, day in, day out. And I don't care where he runs at a 40. I just seen this kid's tape and I think he's, he's a hell of a ball player is David, David Buff and Purdue. 
I think this guy is, is if he drops in that third round range, I think he could be a potential steal for anybody. Uh, so I think I just kind of your, your thoughts on David Bell. And there's two guys I want to run by you real quick for day three. Yeah, sure. I mean, Bell's interesting because, like you said, like a, a very talented football player, but the testing has really seen his stock fall. I mean, prior to the combine, you're talking about he was in the mix as sort of a guy that could sort of sneak maybe into the first round. Now we're talking about him, like you said, maybe being there a little bit later on on day three. I mean, his movement skills, his route tree, it checks a lot of boxes. I think what's really, you know, cooled people on him is what we did at Indianapolis and followed up the game um, with his pro day. It's just kind of, kind of got people wary about, okay, is he going to be athletic enough to translate? Because, you know, he, we saw from Burks what he did. Burks is also playing bigger, you know, and, you know, he's a bigger guy. Bell certainly isn't that. And so I, I think that's really what's caused him to fall. But it's hard to sort of watch him on film, see the production and say, are we really going to shy away from somebody just because of what they did at their pro day, just because of they, what they did at their combine? The problem from Bell is – you look around and it is such a deep group where that might make it easier for a general manager to say, well, you know, I'm going to go for Alec Pierce or Khalil Shakur or somebody else that maybe doesn't have the type of production year in and year out that Bell did at Purdue, but it's easier because I've got that testing to fall back on. It makes it an easier decision. And then, and so just kind of going to uh, talking to our, to our, our, you know, our listeners, like people in the chat and I keep telling them, I keep, you know, me and my partner, Neil, who's not here right now, but we keep saying this is a deep draft class. There's going to be guys in, in day three, like we mentioned earlier, that, that are going to come in and contribute. And and two guys particularly that I've gotten zeroed on in terms of for the Bears specifically, because I, I think the Bears could get two receivers in this draft. I think that's how much they need that position to fill. And also the, the, the talent here in this tennis. So two guys I want to touch base on real quick, you know, Wandell Robinson from from uh, uh, Kentucky, like he's more of like a, like a slide jack of all trades, you know, kind of kind of a just a quick twitch, just get the ball in his hands and and let him go, let him do his thing. Uh, and the other guy is is, is Tyquan Thornton from uh, from Baylor. I, I absolutely love this kid's long long speed. I know he's being knocked in terms of his hand size, but he put on his tape. You know, you, you see the explosion, you see him, you know, eating up the cushion of the defensive back and just flying through, flying by the defensive back. So you know that type of you know take a top off a of defense kind of speed is what the Bears are looking for. I think both those players would be there in either round four or five of this draft. Yeah, and and both incredibly talented receivers. I mean, with with, with Taekwon, look, you're talking about a guy that's got true track speed, like true burner speed. Like you talk about giving guys cushions free snap, like you're going to have to give him that eight, nine, ten yard cushion because he's got the speed, like you said, to take the top off the defense and hand size. Yeah, but if there's nobody within five yards of him, hand size is a little bit less of a concern. Like if you're drafting him to be sort of a underneath receiver hitches shallows and things like that then yeah you might be a little bit more concerned about what's going to happen at the catch point but if you're drafting him it's look we're going to give you eights nines and sevens and that's what you're going to run get over the top of the defense and get some separation and i think that what we saw from him on film combined with the way he's tested tells me that he's going to be able to do that at the next level robinson's fascinating because i i think he's somebody that the team that drafts him might have a package of like seven or eight plays plus what you're going to get from him on special teams and say, look, you might get like four or five touches a game, but you've got the ability to turn one or two of those into home runs. And that's what he brings to the table. I, I think that there is a way to carve out a role for him as a rookie. Like I said, with a small little package of plays and say, look, we're going to get you some manufactured touches, some screens, some shallow, some things like that, and let you create after the catch with your change of direction ability, with how quick you move, how you're so tough in the phone box, in the phone booth to tackle. 
Robinson's going to carve out a role. Both of these guys can carve out those small roles early and then over time fill out the rest of it. But when you're talking day three players, guys that you know will be able to give you at least that, plus what they can potentially do on specials, that's great value. Exactly, exactly. But of course, we all know for, in order for those receivers to get open downfield, they, they need time. And, and the quarterback needs time, he needs protection, right? So that's another big group here that we're talking about for the Bears is, is protecting Justin Fields. And 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 Mark, I, I am terrified at the thought of either Larry Borum or Tevin Jenkins playing left tackle and Justin Fields playing quarterback. So, you know, I, I you know, remember last year I was, I was a huge Justin Fields fan and I'm excited the Bears went and got him. So I just I just need it's it's paramount that the Bears go ahead and 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 fill that offensive line. So going through your rankings, I, I, I noticed that, that you have a little bit different ranking than, than most of everyone here that I've seen. And in terms of Charles Gross from, from, um, from um, uh, uh, Mississippi State is, is a guy, your, your top tackle. So uh, Neil, I wish Neil was here because Neil actually uh, helped recruit Charles to, to uh, Mississippi State. So, oh, wow. yeah. So I, I, unfortunately he's not here yet to take care of some family business, but uh, you know, curious Charles Gross and, and the head of, you know, Icky Iguanu from NC State, uh, uh, Evan Neal from from uh, Alabama. What what was uh, that process for you? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's actually Doug Farrar, my colleague over at Touchdown Wire. He did the okay. offensive tackle rankings, um, but I can understand why he did it. I mean, Charles Cross, you're talking about somebody that did it just like Evan Neal in the SEC at a very high level, um, movement skills, hand usage, the ability to sort of react to secondary pass rushing moves. You know, Doug sort of termed it like match footwork where, you know, you've seen plays where – you know, pass rusher will hit him with an initial move and counter with a spin, and he has the footwork and lateral movement skills to match that. I think from where I sit, I, I go Neil, Aquanu, Cross. I mean, that's kind of how I have them. But similar to the receiver position, you know, Doug's telling me that look, Cross is my favorite guy. I get it. I, I can see it because you see those movement skills. You see the ability to match athleticism off the edge, which is so critical for today's you know, offensive tackles on both sides, left and right. You have to be able to match that athleticism. I prefer Neil. You know, if I'm Jacksonville at one, I'm giving serious thought, even though you just put the franchise tag on Cam Robinson, you added Brandon Sheriff, you might think you don't need to address offensive line. I think you still do, and I would draft Neil. If you're going to tell me it's Aquanu, I get it too, and and I'm, I'm a fan of Cross as well. I just stacked them a little bit differently than Doug. And in terms of, the, you know, realistically for a, a prospect for the Bears in the second round, you know, you know, you know we can go through all the names and, and scenarios, but but a, a guy that I've really I'm really high on and I just don't see him played out in in terms of you know, some of these mock drafts is, is a kid from uh, Ohio State, uh, Nicholas Petit Ferrer. And I, I think he's a kid had showed the athletic ability. Obviously, the Bears are going to that Kyle Shanahan sign of, you know, wide zone scheme system here under Luke Getze, the new offensive coordinator. So. Uh, a disciple, obviously, from from Green Bay. So you know he's going to be looking for some more offensive linemen that are that are athletic, that that can you know block you know laterally on the move and, and maintain their position and all that stuff. So I think you know Nicholas Petit Ferrari, he gives you that athletic ability at left tackle. Uh, I, I know he had a bad game against Michigan, but he put on the rest of his tape. But the kids, the kids, pretty damn pretty damn good in terms of you know his explosiveness out of his stance into that second level for for a tackle is, is pretty pretty rare from what i've seen the last couple of years scouting these guys so you know curious uh, your take on him and, and why is he getting much love here yeah i mean i i think it's in in some ways it's that bad game against michigan sort of that recency bias right where some of the last snaps we saw from him that are all fresh in all our minds are getting sort of steamrolled by you know some michigan pass rushers but we have to remember one of those guys might go first overall. The other was probably a top 10, top 15 pick before his Achilles injury in David Ajabo. I mean, those are two very good pass rushers he was going up against. Now, of course, the counter to that counter is, yeah, you're going to see good pass rushers 
in the National Football League, so you got to be ready for it. And I understand that. But I, I think overall the body of work, what he did on both sides of the line, because he saw some time on both right and left, the lateral movement skills, which you mentioned, I think make him a very good fit for what the Bears are trying to install on the offensive side of the ball with the schemes and the, the concepts that they're trying to put in, the, the blocking schemes that they're trying to put in. And I think that makes him a good fit. Now, that might make him slide. You know, some boards, some consensus boards, you have sort of have him in that 70, 80, 90 range, which might have put might put him right, 71. He might right. be staring them at the face at 71. If they've gone receiver at 39 and corner at 48, mm-hmm. He might be staring them right in the face in 71. You've got a guy that played tackle in the Big Ten. Yeah, he had a bad game against Michigan. That wasn't unique to just him. A lot of guys struggled right. in that exactly. game. And you're talking about a guy that can move extremely well and fits what you're doing schematically. And in terms of the position group overall in this in this draft, uh, I would assume receiver would, would be a, a group that you think could make a big impact next year. What other position group besides receiver do you think could come in here and, and, and as, as a group as a whole and, and be impactful? Yeah, I mean, thankfully the Bears fans, I mean, corner is another one. I mean, you watch this cornerback group. I'm finalizing my top 11. It was going to be similar where I thought about I was going to put a top 15, 16, 17, but my editors were like, look, man, we just we, we, we don't have the bandwidth for it. Just, just give us the 11. It's a very deep position group. I mean, you're, you're talking about guys at the cornerback position that, you know, they might be, say, CB9, CB10, CB11 on some boards, like Cam Taylor Britt from Nebraska, Kobe Bryant from Cincinnati, Josh Joby, Alabama, Zion McCowell from Sam Houston State. These are going to be guys that are going to step in and play right away, whether it's, you know, sub packages, whether it's as a slot, you know, whether it's as a boundary corner, CB2 type for a team that already has a good starting corner. I mean, it's a very, very talented group. You're going to see some corners, like we said with the wide receiver position, Daniel, that come off on day three but are going to be immediate contributors, perhaps even starters week one of the National Football League. Wide receiver, corner, two very good positions in this draft. So obviously the Bears transitioning to that that 4-3, you know, um, you know, Tampa 2, you know, zone, you know, base system. Uh, I, I kid that I like a lot. And again, another talking about me pounding the table. I pound the table a lot here, and Aldo gets tired of me pounding the table. But right. uh, just so just so you know, uh, uh, is Roger McCreary from Auburn. I mean, I, I know he's getting knocked for his, for his arm length, right? It's not ideal. But you put on a tape, this guy takes on SEC top echelon athletes and receivers week in and week out. He's always there. He's always you know playing well. And he's a guy that's that's fearless. And I and I love the way he came down in, in mobile and just just kind of took up, you know, and uh, all the challenges or whoever came up against him and just went up in one-on-one. I, I just I really like this kid. I think this is a kid that you could possibly get in that third round range that could come in and be a starter as well. Your thoughts on McCreary? Yeah, I mean, it, it stuns me that we're talking about how he might be there in the third round because he's CB5 for me, you know, and I look at him as somebody that if I'm going to need a corner at the end of the first round, I'm comfortable drafting him. I know people are going to look at the 28.8-inch hands and say, that's first percentile, he's a massive outlier, you can't do it. Okay, but then like you said, you turn on the film, you watch him get his first SEC interception on a double move in a sort of contested catch situation against Jamar Chase in 2019. Like that's top echelon talent, like you said, and he's doing it. You watch that game against Alabama. I know Mechie got the better of him on that touchdown in overtime on a pivot route down, which is so tough to cover and begin with. But you see him traveling with Jameson Williams earlier in that game. You see them put him on Mechie later in the game because Mechie was starting to carve them up and he's matching double moves. He's matching comeback routes. He's tough at the catch point. Maybe the short arms mean that he's not going to give you a ton of interceptions, but I think the fact that he has the technique, the tenacity, and the experience against that elite talent coming out of the SEC, I'm a huge fan of his game. 
I would draft him in late in the first round. If he's there at 71, it's a run to the podium situation. If you haven't addressed corner already. Right. For me, my, my, my favorite corner is, is McDuffie, but I don't think he's going to be available there for, for the bears at second round. I think he's going in the first round, but, but I, a guy that I turn on the tape, Mark, and I don't know if this is the same way for you, but I, I couldn't get my eyes off him. And he's not going to go, he's not going, probably not even going to go day one or day two. Is this kid Marcus Jones from Houston? Talk about an electric, quick twitch player. Uh, only 5'8, doesn't have the size. It might be just relegated inside to a slot corner. But man, this this kid is tough, and he's a guy that doesn't back down from anyone. And, and talk about a, a guy who's got body control, like like a, uh, a receiver goes out and make those you know those uh, you know adjustments on the ball and his interception. So you know Marcus Jones, I know he's coming off an injury in terms of his shoulder. Uh, you know, in terms of where you think he's going to go, is he, is he day three guy? Yeah, I mean he's probably more of a day three guy because he's probably like you said going to have to kick inside because of the size. He's probably going to be more of a slot only guy. I compare him in a way to sort of. Uh, Elijah Molden, who I really liked in last year's class, who's slot corner at Washington, saw some time at safety, just tenacious type of player, like always was around the football, would help and run support, has no qualms coming downhill. But then you see the man coverage skills. And look, you've got to be a good man coverage corner if you're going to play in the slot. Because on the flip side of that two-way go conversation we had earlier about receivers, now you're giving up that two-way go. You've got to have the ability to move laterally, to get an initial punch or a club technique or a jam on somebody, and then match and mirror them, trying to eliminate that two-way go. It's tough on the inside for corners, and he's got the ability to do that. So I think, look, when you remember that for many teams, that slot corner is a starting position, like there's value to be had there. Even You say somebody's going to have to kick inside, then you're going to have to wait on them. I say, look, you know, if he's going to be a starter, if he's going to be out there for the first play of the game, that there's value there to draft him earlier on day two. Uh, Mark, I'd like to uh, squeeze in a couple of questions from the chat room. I know we've got you on overtime right now. Uh, so let me uh, start with uh, Stephen Nagishi. He asked a question, is three tech D linemen still a need for the Chicago Bears? And which player would be available for the Bears to take? Danny is shaking his hand saying a three tech that is definitely necessary. And I agree with, with Danny. I mean, that's the uh, – many people were saying that's the most important position in Iberflus' defense. And so a three tech uh, defensive lineman, you probably need a, a, a couple of them on the roster – uh, anybody there that you think might fall to round two or three, a day two pick that the Bears should consider? Yeah, I mean, Perry and Winfrey from Oklahoma, who had himself a fantastic senior bowl, um, probably projects in almost ideally as that three tech and a four three defense. Um, I, I really sort of like his game, like his penetration skills. He's got a pretty well rounded pass rushing package. He's got the technique to win with skill, but he's also got that quick step and penetration skills upfield where he can sort of win on the inside that way, a guy that I've sort of really liked um, it's sort of studying him. I don't know if, you know, he might be more of a four eye, but Matt Henningsen from uh, Wisconsin, he played more on the end. Um, if he could add a little bit, maybe he could play on the inside uh, for Darian Mathis from Alabama. He's another fun player. I think he could be a three tech for this system um, in a three, four, he probably have to play more on the edge, but I think he can slide inside uh, play at the three tech. He's somebody that, I would love to see get to New England, pair him with his old teammate and Christian Barmore. Um, but I th- I do think three-tech is certainly something that the Bears need to address. I think all of these guys, you know, Winfrey's probably going to have to be, if you're going to do that, it's probably the pick in the in, uh, 39. But the other guys that I've talked about, they'll be there at 71 in this draft. They might even be there a little bit later. You might even be able to get some of these guys at 148. And so because the tackle tends to get devalued a little bit in today's NFL. But three-tech certainly a need. There are certainly some names to watch there. 
If I could jump in real quick, although sorry, just with, with Winfrey, for me, watching him, obviously at senior bowl, he dominated. I mean, bull rush, power rush, and he was just uh, unstoppable. But when I put his tape on, I, he's, his lateral agility, he's got too much difference for me to be a three technique, in my opinion, and, and when, I'm, when I'm looking at him. So a guy that, and not in a similar mode, but, but a guy that, that I love here is, is Logan Hall from Houston. And I know he's been based as, as a 4-3-N or possibly a 5-technique, but that, that get-off, he went a 1-6-8, one, 10-yard one, split at the at the combine. I think he's a guy, you push him inside, you know, he, uh, you know uh, Matt Eberflus had uh, DeBoris Buckner with, with the Colts last year. I'm not saying he's a DeBoris Buckner type of player, but got that size, that length, and that get-off. I think he's a guy that could kick inside a 3-technique. Curious if you agree with that one. Yeah, no, I do. I mean, Winfrey and DeMarvin are like sort of those like tweener type guys where it's like, yeah, you could probably put them on the edge, but maybe if they add a little bit, you kick them inside and they'd be extremely impressive players. And with that explosiveness, that ability to sort of get inside and to penetrate, I think Hall would be a fantastic fit. Um, now, now that you've brought him up, Danny, for, for the Bears there, um, you probably have to do it again at 39. Because I think some teams are going to look at him and say, yeah, you can put him on the outside. Yeah, you can kick him inside. There's a lot of versatility there. And there's production on both the outside and perhaps kicked inside as well that you can lean on and say, yeah, we're going to add this guy. I think I'm glad you mentioned him and brought him up. That's a great call. Uh, Bear Truth 9 asked a question. Are there any top players that you think uh, might fall in the draft because of off the field issues? You know, that happens in almost every draft. Every <laughs> The commentators, uh, whether it's on NFL Network or ESPN, are saying it's amazing that this player is falling down. And it usually has to do with something that scouts have heard. Uh, in their evaluations and talking with other uh, scouts or uh, the coaching staff or family members and friends. Have you heard anything that we should be keeping an eye on? I mean, maybe Kayvon Thibodeau keeps falling. I mean, can yeah. we say that? I mean, that, that would be a fantastic situation. I mean, I really sort of haven't, you know, the one that keeps coming up is Thibodeau, interestingly enough, is sort of the idea that like, yeah, you know, he's, got interest outside of football. He's worried about his brand and things like that. I mean, there are some other players, but Thibodeau is really, you know, the first one that comes to mind. I try to ignore all that stuff. I mean, all I have people that tell me stuff and I just like when I was with you guys last year, all the talk about Justin Fields and, you know, whether he didn't love the game enough or he couldn't handle a playbook. I, I threw that all aside. I basically pretty much workouts and film. I mean, that that's the stuff that I know that I can trust. Um, you know, the only one that I've really heard is what we've all heard with Thibodeau. I don't see that. I turn on the film. I see a guy that should go in the top five. But, again, I'm just a dude with a microphone. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> well, you're a really uh, astute evaluator of talent. And my last question for you before we get you out of here is Justin Fields. As Eric Edholm uh, uh, properly said, you are the quarterback whisperer when it comes to draft evaluation. I mean, your work in evaluating quarterbacks, all players are gr is great, but uh, particularly quarterbacks. So you saw Justin Fields' rookie season with the Chicago Bears. What's your overall evaluation, and what should be the temperature for Chicago Bears fans as they uh, hope and pray that this really is the uh, franchise quarterback we've so desperately been searching for for decades now? Yeah, I mean, look, I I remain extremely high on Justin Fields. I mean, it was a, a situation last year which kind of unfolded the way many feared, right, with sort of a lame duck general manager, lame duck head coach. You know, now you've got new minds coming in, you know, with an eye towards quarterback development. 
And the goal here is to get Justin Fields where he needs to be. And we've talked about some of the concerns with the offensive line and some of the weapons around him. We talked about ways to address it. But I saw a quarterback on film last year, even with all of that, still showed me at times that, like, yeah, this is the guy. Yeah, the ability to rip throws in the coverage. Yeah, the ability to move around. Were there mistakes? Yeah. Were there things that he has to clean up? Absolutely. As with all young quarterbacks, decisions have to come faster. You have to be able to sort of identify pressure earlier in the down. If you're going to rely on reaction skills, that's going to help you on Saturdays. Might not help you on Sundays when the athletes are bigger, faster, and stronger. So he's got to get better from the protection side of things, get it ahead of pressure packages, get it ahead of simulator pressures. But that's as it all young quarterbacks have to deal with. Even, you know, we talk about Mac Jones, some of the, the mental stuff that he's brought to the table, still has to clean that stuff up as well. But I'm extremely high. I remain high on Justin Fields. They have to help him a little bit. He has to get a little bit better. But it's always important to remember, now he gets the benefit of that first full offseason. This time last year, he's doing draft prep. He's doing combine prep. He's doing interviews and top 30s and learning 17 different playbooks. Now, even though it's a new playbook, he has that whole entire offseason now in this new system to get rolling. And so I'm very high on – I remain high on him, and I'm very optimistic about what we'll see from him this year and next year and beyond. Thank you, because uh, that's what I'm trying to tell everybody here is like, just just take take it time, relax. It's 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 a process. You know, it, it, we look at the offensive game plan they put for him versus the Cleveland Browns. I could tell you that the, the, the people were calling, organizing that offense. They had no idea what they're doing. Yeah. So thank you for for uh, echoing Confirming. those sentiments. I, I'm so glad I could help with that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. It's, it's You don't understand how it's how bad it is. I mean, we, we haven't seen a, a quarterback develop here in Chicago in, in forever. So that's why it, it takes some time. I, I, I understand the trepidation and fear just as somebody that had him QB2 last year and was a huge believer in Justin Fields. Nothing I saw last year, even with the mistakes, has moved me off of that position. But but just kind of going to this year's draft and and obviously you know that the big thing was that there isn't a superstar in this group right and then now all of a sudden as it happens every year guys get pushed up the board so now we're we're seeing Malik Willis so guy I had as my QB two coming in I think Kenny Pickett should be QB one but you know that's neither here or there but I see him now going mocked as high as two to Detroit which I think is is, is crazy it's ludicrous uh, but you know I, I think three eventually will go in this first round do you agree with that or you think it's still going to be one or two. I think three – I mean, I, I keep telling people Vegas is so good at what they do, guys, because the number I keep seeing is three and a half is the over and under. And it's like I could see three. I could make a case for four. It, it, it's really tough. Um, Would Corral be the fourth guy for you? Yeah. I mean, the, if I if I if if we get four, I think it would be Willis, Pickett, Ritter, Corral. I think those yeah. would be the four. Um, you know, I, I think – you know, Willis is the guy that's being talked about as the first one off the board. And, you know, he's my one, and it's because of the upside this year. I think this is the year where, like, if you're to take a swing on upside, you might do it because of the questions about this group on the whole. You know, I think Pickett is an extremely talented quarterback. He's my two. You know, similar to the Rod Receiver discussion, you're telling me Pickett's your one. I more than understand that. I can see it with him. You know, the willingness to attack the middle of the field, the willingness to work through progressions, certainly checks the athleticism box, maybe not the way Willis does, but athletic enough. You know, I, I think we get four because teams are going to start to panic. You know, we're wondering about what Carolina is going to do. You see the teams that we all know, Atlanta, Seattle, Pittsburgh, maybe New Orleans. You know, you know the teams that are sort of thinking quarterback. There's usually a team that comes out of nowhere and does it. You've heard maybe Tennessee at the late half of the first round. 
And then obviously what Detroit does, they've got two and 32. Did they do Willis at two? I've been told probably not, but that pick at 32, maybe they move up. Maybe they package something. If somebody starts to slide or maybe they stay at 32 and do it. But I think we sitting there right now, I think we get four, um, at least three, maybe that fourth late in the first round. I'm sure the legal profession is still upset that you left that. Though. They're really <laughs> not, Aldo. They're not upset about that at all. Oh, we're very, very happy that you're doing what you're doing because we learned so much, and it's so entertainingly delivered. Uh, Mark Schofield, tell people where they can follow you on Twitter, uh, what you're working on, anything you want to promote. Please take uh, as much time as you like. Well, guys, thanks so much for having me back. Always, always love coming on. Love what you guys are doing here. It's it's such a great you know, product, what you guys are putting out. I'm a huge fan and believers in what you're doing. Um, you can follow me on the Bird app at Mark Schofield. Hey, I did it right. I always – StreamYard mirrors it. I always have to, like, practice it. But at Mark Schofield <laughs> on the Bird app. Um, Doug Farrar and myself, we are finishing up our top 11 or so at each position. We've got corners and safeties left. I've got corners on Tuesday. Doug will finish it off with safeties. Uh, on Wednesday or it's Monday, Tuesday, something like that of next week. Then we'll do top 50, then final mocks, underrated players, things like that. But you can check all that stuff out at uh, touchdownwire.usatoday.com. Are you and Doug ever going to collaborate on a book, co-author a book? We've been asked that. We've been asked that all. So, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell him as soon as I log off that we got more people asking for that because I, I think it would be a ton of fun to do. Trust me, if you guys do that, I'll buy multiple copies and hand them out uh, to our followers here because anything that you guys write is must read. Really admire your work. Thank you, Mark Schofield, very much. Guys, thank you so much. This was a blast. Appreciate it. Take care now. See you guys. All right, Danny. How about that for a Christmas present? Mark Schofield and Eric at home. <laughs> it's, it's funny for for our listeners. You know, Aldo had to you know cut me off because I, I could could keep going here all night <laughs> asking questions and just you know hogging these two guys and just talking talking ball and talking drafts. So you know this, this like I said, I love doing this. So. Oh, me too. I mean, it, you know, when I came up with the idea of calling this network the barroom network, it, it was because of, of situations like that where you have such scintillating conversations. And for me, in this particular instance, I just got to sit back and listen to you talk with Eric and you talk to Mark. It's like being at the bar and me being at the corner of the bar and overhearing two people having a really interesting conversation and not paying attention to my wife, who, by the way, is upstairs <laughs> after surgery. <laughs> so that's what, what this has been like for me. And we still have more football talk uh, to go. So, uh, and there's been some questions that I've been collecting in uh, in the chat area. But one of the things that I asked you to do, uh, uh, Danny, and you so nicely did, is do your first mock draft, and then tell us why you chose these guys and what was your thinking behind it, and maybe if you can recall or, or jot it down, players that you bypassed in order to pick the player that you wanted. Now, I've got up on uh, one of our banners here your three picks for uh, day two. Uh, you started with uh, number 39. I think I mis- uh, misspelled his name, Tra- Traylon Burks, the wide receiver out of Arkansas that you just talked about. Tyler Lindenbaum, who has been dropping in a lot of draft boards. He was uh, Everybody thought he was going to be a first-rounder, uh, but you found him uh, and, and grabbed him at the n- number 48 position. And then number 71, Travis Jones, the interior defensive lineman from UConn, Please take it away. Right. So obviously, you know, with Trill and Burke, I, I, I talked with both of our guests here tonight in terms of how big of a fan I am. I think he'd be a nice 
perfect ideal fit here for the Bears. Yeah, it doesn't give you that take the top off a of defense kind of speed that, that you look for, but it gives you that big body at 6'2", 225, a guy that, that can be, you know, motioned out, can be an X, can be a Y, can, can line up in the slot. Heck, I've seen him lined up in the backfield. So a, a guy that, you know, that a lot of comps, and, and Mark mentioned it, A.J. Brown from the, from the Titans is a, is a guy he gets comped to a lot. So, you know, both guys think that he's probably going to go in the, in the later half of the first round, and, and that kind of broke my heart because I'm just hoping that guy just somehow finds his way, you know, dropping. And, and I've heard because some teams are just unsure in terms of where to line them up in terms of, you know, that speed and, and they want to, you know, not sure how to use them. Like, I'm just saying, all right, let them drop to the Bears, you know, and, and we'll, we'll take them, glad to take them and, and make them, you know, a, a centerpiece in terms of, you know, the receiving core here for for Justin Fields. So big Traylon Burke fan in terms of his overall, you know, uh, ability. Like, again, big body, a guy that, that that I saw him, like Mark just mentioned, we on a stop route, caught the ball against Alabama's defense and turned and ran away from defenders. So, yeah, he doesn't run, doesn't run a, a, a nice, you know, 4-4, four, four, clean 4-4 four, four at, at the combine on a, on a straight line track. But he's a guy when you put on the tape, you know, he's he's faster than what he times. And again, with that frame, with the ability to extend outside his frame and, and, and give up a big catch radius to the quarterback, I think he's a guy that you could possibly, you know, build a um a, a receiving core around him. So, you know, that's a guy that if, if he's there, the Bears gotta jump all over him. But again, you know, more and more, and you know, you're hearing bottom of the first half, first round, you're thinking chief, maybe Packers, but you know, there's also talk about maybe those guys moving up. You know, both those teams, the, the Chiefs and the Packers, may be moving up for some of that one of the bigger name guys. Uh, so if something like that happens, uh, or maybe you know they make a trade for a veteran, like we mentioned, DK Metcalf could could be available. You know, you know maybe this guy kind of you know falls down and, and trickles down to the top half of the second round. So you know that's why. And the mock that I did, I, I ran a mock simulator, and he was sitting there looking at me, and and that, that's basically how I went with my mock is I went best available. Um, and, you know, and that he was a top rated guy from my board, at least. And that's why I went trailing Burke and he filled a need as well. So that was like the perfect storm there. A guy with the top rated guy on the board and he fills a need. It's a no brainer. That's why trailing Burke was, was my, my first pick here. And uh, every, people in the chat room are saying you got to be dreaming that Lindenbaum is uh, going to be available at 48, but that's who was there, right? Yep, he he was there in this simulator, and and again, I I just it was he was sitting there, and I even looked at him in, in terms of pick 39 because I'm like, well, you know, it, it, if you know him and Burke in terms of grades are, are pretty similar, um, you know, uh, both guys in the top half of their, their group, obviously, um, Lindenbaum is is a top weighted center. Uh, Lindenbaum is dropping guys, and the reason he's dropping is is some of the measurables aren't ideal, right? And you talk about his his, his arm length. Is a little bit lesser than shorter than what you would want. You know, it's like 31 and eighth. And again, for center, it, I, I'm, I'm not really too concerned unless, unless it's sub 30. I'm not really too concerned in terms of arm length for center because those guys are literally generally more closer up front to, you know, closer to the defensive linemen. So they don't need the, the big arm length and all that stuff. But, and plus with centers, a lot of times it's more about leverage, about hand usage. How does he use his hands and how does he go ahead and, and, and you know, uh, be able to uh, manipulate it? defenders and, and, and execute his, his assignments and, and his blocks. So that's, that's the main thing here with Lindenbaum. But, uh, you know, six, two at, at three, three Oh two, um, you know, ran a four, nine, eight, 40, had a seven, one point one four three cone at, at, at his pro day, uh, only 24 reps on, on the bench. So, you know, some of those things are, are dropping. I think the latest mocks draft I saw from, from Mel Kuyper Jr. Had the jets trading up back into the first round at pick 31 and getting him. So, you know, that's a scenario where, you know, he had him going in the first round, but I, I'm seeing a lot, a lot of things where he's dropping out of that first round. So, and, and the reason why I took him here for the bears, you might say, Oh, the, the, the bears trying to get the kid from the Packers. Well, you know, that guy, you know, he can play either guard or center. I think you bring in a kid like Linderbaum and he's your center. 
And he's a he's an ideal center for this system. You know, you, you put on the tape for for Lunderbaum, and you, you look at his you know the, the foot quickness, the lateral agility, the, the ability to he can move laterally side to side and maintain his blocks. Um, you know the way this guy uh, attacks that second level uh, uh, run fit. You know in terms of just sprints out of his, his stance, gets to that second level linebacker, is able to seal him off and pin him. Uh, you know the way he executes those reach blocks. Right, those are those are uh, those interior defensive linemen that are that are outside his his frame here, and the way he could. He can get snap the ball, reach to, to that defensive lineman, be able to again use his hands and, and leverage. This kid was a one of the top wrestlers in Iowa, and then usually centers that are wrestlers in, in high school turn out to be pretty good football players. So you know the way he gets in there, gets leverage, turns it, you know, his hips, jumps into the gap, and then seals off that defensive lineman is just phenomenal. So you know th- th- this is a kid that is barn on at the top center in in the. Um, in the draft. So if, if he's there for the bears, yeah, you know, it, he fills a need there at center, but then he also allows you to move Patrick over to, to guard. And now you fill two, two positions, right. Of, of need with one draft pick. So that's why I, I said, you know, a highly rated player falls out of the first round sitting there on this, on this simulator, at least. And I, I went ahead and grabbed them. And now I fill two positions on the offensive line. Let's stay with that line of thinking that you just brought up there. So if Linderbaum, you know, incredibly falls to that position and the Bears select him, uh, he'd be, he be, you know, the next center for the next 10 years. I, I think that's indisputable. Um, and uh, now you've got a, a at least a temporary uh, a Band-Aid for the right guard position. We know that at the left guard is Cody White here. So who on this roster – would play the tackle positions or because then you're faced with the situation of having to sign somebody who's going to be dropped uh, coming up because really there are no credible uh, offensive tackles available in free agency today, other than players who have had injury histories. Well, like, no, I mean, like the, one, the one guy, the one guy I keep coming back to is Dwayne Brown. He's still out there, and he's he's a That's guy true. that yeah, he's not the same player he was you know a couple years ago, but he's still a viable veteran that could come in on, on a short term deal, one or two year deal. And then, and then so so and and this I don't exactly which pick was. It might have been pick seventy one with Travis Jones. I, I think either Bernard Raymond or. Um, um, uh, Nicholas Petit Ferrer there. And I thought long and hard about going that way, right? <clears throat> Excuse me, going one of those offensive tackles instead of Travis Jones. But I keep saying that interior defensive tackle position is is still a need for this team, right? Now, Travis Jones is not the, the three technique ideal fit, body frame fit, but he's a guy that's got power, this guy takes out blockers. Um, excuse me, get some, get some water here real quick. Please go ahead and, and, and do that because. You know, that, that is my concern. Uh, the more I do these mock drafts, the more I analyze this, and I say, man, you, it, it's almost like the Bears, I hope they don't do this, but that they might be reaching for a tackle because, you know, the quality of tackles who, who are considered plug-and-play offensive tackles, I, I, don't, I don't think there's that many of them. I think that once you get to day two, it really starts to deteriorate quickly. So I'm concerned about that, but please go on with your thought. Yeah, so that's what that's why exactly I was thinking. I'm like, I'm like, all right, I, I love Petit for I, I've been I've been talking to both of our guests tonight. I, I, this guy can come in and and play left tackle. I just don't know if he is a, he's a starter day one. But I mean, I would if I draft him and, and pick 48 or, or pick 39. Obviously, he's going to come in. He's going to be my starter 
for me. But uh, but for me, Travis Jones is a guy that can come in. He can start at defensive tackle. He's a guy that can come in and, and be one of those guys that, that could play up over the, the guard. He's a guy that, that can go ahead and, and, and you know occupy blockers and allow your, your linebackers to make plays, sideline to sideline. Uh, and he's a guy that showed ability to get up into the gap and, and cause some penetration, cause some some you know some disruption to the backfield. So that's why I, I'm very high on him. From for me, his grade was a little bit more higher, and I think it'd be a bigger impact. Yes, the, the offensive tackle position was still is still a very big need, and I think someone in the chat earlier uh, asked me to pound a table for either uh, Borum or, or Tevin Jenkins to play left yeah. tackle. I'm sorry, I will never pound a table for either Borum or, or Tevin Jenkins to play left tackle. I'll pound that for them to play right guard or right tackle. I have no problem with those guys. The company, whatever you want to do, you want to do Jenkins a tackle and bore my guard or flip them around. That that's cool. I'm good with that. So that's why if if, if you go ahead and you put say for example Tevin Jenkins a tackle right tackle, you put Borman at right guard or or in, you know if, in my scenario here you put Linda Mom in center, you put uh, the, the kid from Green Bay over at right guard. Now you have Borman to be able to be a swing tackle can, can give you a backup in terms of left or right. But in terms of starting every day, you know for 17 weeks, I, I would be I would be you know terrified to see one of those guys being my, my full-time uh, left tackle. There you go. You ever been to a bar, Danny, and the bartender yells out, last call, last call. And right at that moment, one of your best buddies shows up. Yeah, and, and, and he's and he's half in the can already. There he is. <laughs> Neil Stopchinski in the house. What is going on, guys? You are, man. How are you? I am phenomenal. I am phenomenal. How are you guys doing? Oh, you you, you got in here just before all the call, last call. <laughs> Shit, you know what? That's typically how I do it. Johnny on the spot, boys. Johnny on the spot. There you go. Uh, we are very, very happy that you're here. Uh, and um, I know you didn't get a chance to listen to any of the interviews we had with Eric and uh, with Mark. Uh, both times, Danny brought your name up because uh, there were just topics that, uh, like, for instance, Charlie Cross, uh, his name came up. And you, of course, had mm -hmm. some a hand in recruiting him over at Mississippi State. Uh, so I just want to get your thoughts on Charlie Cross because, uh, Danny, what was it that you mentioned that Charlie so Cross? So Mark, Mark Schofield had him, or, or his, his partner, Doug Farr, had him as, as his uh, number one rated uh, offensive tackle in, in the group. And I was I was a little shocked by that because, I mean, I, I know he's a, he's a good athlete. And I go, he's a good, you know, solid prospect. But I just, you know, over a kid like Iki Iguanu or even Evan Neal, even though personally, I think Evan Neal is a, a right tackle or a guard, not a, not necessarily a full time left tackle in this league, but that's that's a story for a different day. But uh, you know, he had him as as his number one rated offensive tackle. So I was I was kind of curious how that how that came about. Well, you know, the thing about Charles Cross is uh, you know he's a dude that when yeah he's a dude that when he came to Mississippi State he was I think six three two hundred fifty seven pounds, right, and. Uh, over the course of his time at Mississippi State, he gained close to 50 pounds in weight, grew almost two inches. He, he, he went into the combine, at, I think, 6047, and didn't lose a shred of his athletic ability. And the reason why that the, the reason why he we brought him into Mississippi State was number one, because you know, he's a dude that uh, has unbelievable athletic ability for his size. He has the traits that uh, he has the athletic traits and the physical traits to where um, you, you can teach him what you he, love, love the Plato type of stuff, right? You can teach him what you, what you want him to uh, what you want him to do, mold him into what you want him to be. Um, you know, he's a guy that uh, also had the frame to be able to handle the weight and also uh, you know maintain that athletic ability. 
And that's what was special about him. And that's what made him special in Mississippi State. Um, great kid, comes from a great family, from an area of Mississippi where you, I mean, it, it, it's very blue collar, right? And you, you, you work for what you get. Um, you know, uh, you know, phenomenal situation that he came into. And he's just one of those guys where uh, when you sign him, you think to yourself, okay, he's a little bit of a project. You know, he's a little bit raw. Uh, we got to we got to put some work into him. But I think by year two, he was starting. And he was one of those, uh, you know, perfect kind of situations where what you think he could be is what he ends up being. And so, you know, you know props up to the uh, the strength conditioning crew over at Mississippi State. They did a phenomenal job of, of uh, and, and we're talking about two different two different crews now, right? Because he he came in under uh, Joe Moorhead and Luke Getze, and he finished under um, under uh, 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 Mike Leach and uh, I forget the the uh, offense corner they have now. Uh, two different strength staffs. And so, um, you know, but the thing about the kid is that he, he's he's not about the limelight. He's a hard worker. Uh, you know, again, blue collar kid from a from a kind of like a modest, you know, you know, situation. Those, those type of kids you can always depend on to uh, you know put in the work to uh, you know work their ass off and uh, get to where they need to be. Um, the thing about Charles Cross is that you know, he's got the size, he's got the length, he's got the athletic ability, he's got the feet, he's got the physicality. He's got all he's got everything you need. And it's just a matter of, you know, who falls in love with him. You know, there, there's there's reason to think that, you know, Iguanu, um, uh, Cross and Neil could be the first tackle selected. You know, I may be biased, but I think Charles Cross is that guy. Yeah, and the other time we mentioned you as we were talking, I was talking to uh to Mark Scorfield in terms of the the depth. And the receiver series team here, and 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 I just you know in the, in the group, the class itself, and how you and I have been have been stressing to to our you know our listeners that you know you know don't fret about it you know if, if you know the, the Bears you know may not necessarily attack that that position right away with the, with the first two or maybe even three picks, but there are going to be receivers here in this draft. You get you know day three that you're going to come in and make and make a make an impact. And and uh, Mark agreed. And a couple of names I brought up for day three were, were uh, Wandell Robinson from Kentucky. And and Tyquan Thornton from uh, from Baylor, I think both those guys can bring an element of of speed and playmaking. Obviously, Robinson's that quick twitch, you know, um, jack of all trades kind of kind of a, a kind of player guy. You just give him the ball in space and let him do his thing. Uh, if you line him up necessarily in in, in on the uh, in the formation, he'd probably be a slot receiver just because of his size. And then I, I, Thornton, I've talked about here in, in terms of uh, you know a previous. Uh, uh, previous shows were at just his speed you know his, his his ability to get downfield and stretch that defense um you know is, is an element that the bears definitely need here on, on offense yeah it, it, I, you guys you kind of cut out just a second there could you go ahead and uh go over that again i'm sorry yeah, we were just talking about the receiving class, how the depth of the, of the class, how you can you, can, you and I have been telling everybody that, that you could probably find guys in day three in, in this class here and and one of the kids we brought up is was uh, Wandale Robinson from Kentucky, and the other one was, right. was the, the kid um, uh, from from Baylor, the uh, the receiver uh, Thorn uh, Tyquan Thorn from from uh, Baylor. So those are the top, top two examples where you could get guys in day three that can still come in here and and be impact players. That you know if the Bears adjust the offensive line, defensive line, and say cornerback with those first three picks, don't fret over it. There's still opportunity to get talent later on in the drafts. And I brought that up to Mark what we've been talking about, and he agreed. Yeah, I, I think that's that's a pretty thing about this uh, this receivers class. It's kind of similar to last receivers class as well, in the sense that 
you know, you, you have a, uh, you have a collection of guys that, uh, uh, you know, they, they have the skills, they have the talent, they have the traits. Um, you know, when we were running through our mock drafts earlier, like me and Danny were, were going through this, uh, you know, solo by ourselves. I'm pretty sure you felt the same way that I did that, you know, when, once you're getting into, uh, you know, day three, round, you know, four, five, and six, you're still seeing some names that you really like that have all the traits, that have the uh, the things that you could build upon. Um, you know, Wandale Robinson, like we, we talked about him before, a little bit of a super midget. He has, you know, explosive, you know, tendencies. He's, he's got the ability to break a game open. Uh, Taekwon Thornton, you know, ran extremely fast at the combine. He uh, he he showed up really well at at, at the Sugar Bowl uh, in uh, in January, and um, you know he he's a guy that uh, is really interesting as well. So like you you talk about guys, you talk about taking take three guys, and that's sort of the the type of dudes that you take. The guys that have traits, the guys that have things that you like. Um, you just want to figure out a way to work them in your system, mold the up a play though, like I always talk about. Um, you know, it, it, it's it's going to be really interesting once you get to day three. It wasn't easy for me picking our, our two fifth round picks and sixth round pick. It wasn't easy at all. I had to make some uh, some cutthroat decisions, and one of them was whether you take two receivers or not. And the other one was uh, there. There's some guys that we talked about the previous, you know, couple like two, three, four, five shows that that showed up there, and it's like shit, man. Like you know, we we got some guys that we really like. What do we do here? We have too many needs, way too way too few spots. It's, uh, you know, Paul is going to have to, you know, <laughs> he's, he's going to have to do some work, you know, once we, once we get into the tail end of this month. Yeah. And although, uh, Neil, uh, it was miscommunication on my part. I, I didn't tell him we were only doing the first three where he yeah. ended up doing all, all six picks. So he, yeah, I think if you want to pop his, yeah. his, 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 uh, mock draft up there, we can make fun of his mock draft. <laughs> um, go ahead, uh, Neil, take it away and tell us, uh, Christian Watson, Tyler Smith. I, I think we all have to agree that if the bears walk away with these two players in round two, uh, we all be ecstatic about it. Uh, Neil, first of all, tell us what mock draft generator you used, uh, and then uh, tell us uh, the reasoning behind those two guys in round two. Use the same one as Danny. Use the draft network, and okay. uh, Excellent. I, I went through a couple, and it, it, it just so happened to where it worked out perfectly to where Christian Watson was available at thirty-nine. I said, "Well, you know, you, you got to go ahead and take that." Uh, I also had one where Zion Johnson was available at 39. I didn't, I took that one too. Mm -hmm. And that was also a phenomenal draft in terms of attacking positions of, of need that we needed to take in. And also guys that we talked about that we really like every single one of the six picks were guys that me and Danny loved. And I thought, shit, that, that's really good. But then I did this draft. And I thought, shit, it's even better, man. I, how did you get any better? I got to stop right here. Quit while I'm ahead. Right. Um, so Christian Watson comes in number one, dynamic, uh, dynamic guy with length, a stretch of field, just eats up ground, uh, off a snap as he's climbing the route. Uh, Tyler Smith comes in next. Tyler Smith was available 48, which also blew my mind. And we talked about him before. He's a guy that has uh, elite feet. He's got elite physicality, uh, you know, mean streak, all those different types of things that we love, things that we need in our offensive line. And then Travis Jones at, at 71. Like, how yeah. the hell is this guy available at 71? It's unbelievable. So I took Travis Jones at 71 as a guy also with kind of physicality, mean streak, nastiness that you need on the inside of the trenches. And so then we, we, we go into round three, or go into day three. And, you know, we get to uh, round five, where I pick 148. 
I thought, okay, we still need that quarter. Zion McCollum is a guy that I think could easily be taken around three, and he was yeah. available around around five. Yeah, you got to take that guy, right? Yep. The, the the length, the explosiveness, the speed, the quickness with the agility drills. You know what he shows on tape. He he's he's very well rounded as a press corner. He plays zone. He 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 basically does all of it. He just has it done against the most elite competition, which is probably his only drawback, right? I mean, he, right. he just has it done against the best. And so right. you, you take that guy at 148. And for the record, Kobe Bryant was also available right there as well. Yeah, that, that's the thing I, I went through as well, Neil, is, is some of these things were not realistic. But, I mean, like for mine, for, I don't know if you saw a chance to see mine, like Tyler Tyler Linderbaum was, was available in both my second-round picks. So I, I ended up passing him the first round on the 30, pick 39. I, I took him at, at pick 48. And then and obviously I took Traylon Brooks in with that first pick. So, you know, like some of these some of these scenarios were, were not really realistic. Yeah, but, you know, 48 is crazy. Yeah, I, that's what I said too. But I'm like, you know, I, I, if I'm – Going to be true to form and, and and run this simulator. I'm just going to go in and, and just pick it. So that, that's why I ended up there. But yeah, I mean, if you get uh, what's his name, uh, Zion McCollum in, in round five, I mean that that's that's going to be a potential steal of the draft. Kind of kind of a player because this guy we talked about him yeah. last week. You know, this guy's got length, he's got the size, he's got speed, he's got quickness. You know, he, he's a guy that you know is, is you know we compared him to Alante Taylor in terms of Taylor's more of a physical corner press corner, where this guy's more of a a, a cover corner with length and size. So. You know, definitely a, a tremendous pick if he's there in, in the fifth round. Yeah, it, it, it's unbelievable. And I mean, like Traylon Burke was a guy that through the first like three or four instances of the draft, Leo you know, went in the top 20, 25. I think it was my fifth instance of, of, of running the Bach where he showed up right around the time when you, know, you took him at 39. But he was also there with Zion. And he was also there with, you know, Travis Jones and Tyler Lindebaum was also there as well. I, I just, you know, so, some of these mock drafts, man, I just don't know exactly what we're doing. Right. You know, I got to ask but the question. Like, a lot out. of stuff isn't really all that realistic. But but say that scenario plays out, Neil. All right. So say say you're Ryan Poles and the Bears and, and you're sitting in that same scenario. You have Zion Johnson sitting there. You have Traylon Burke sitting there. You have Linda, Linda Baum sitting there and then Travis Jones sitting there. Who was the other player you were talking about? Did I miss one? It was, uh, uh, let's see, Linderbaum, Zion Johnson. You, you had Traylon Burke. I took uh, Christian Watson okay. at 39, right? So, like, so all those players are available. You, you, who, who would you is there, you know? Who would you need, who would you want the Bears to pick at, at, if all those four players are in that scenario are available there? I think all players available. I'm probably going Zion. Yeah, because I, I think so. I think he's a plug-and-play starter. Uh, either either guard position, um, and then and in terms of in terms of like you know coming back at forty eight, were, were there some of the other players still available? Like the, like was Christian Watson still available? Because I think that's the best case scenario for the Bears is 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 you get you get these players that fall out of the first round, guys that are supposed to go in the first round, guys like uh, Traylon Brooks, Linderbaum, uh, you know maybe a Christian Watson. You know they they all fall down to you where you have a cluster of them like like was presented to us here in the, in this draft scenario, and now you can possibly if there's someone not coming, hey, I, I need. A quarterback or i need a cornerback or i need a an edge guy and and um and then they come and come knock on your door and say hey, all right we'll give you you know later a mid second round pick and we'll give you all a fourth round pick which you don't have currently you know if you're right. brian poles you gotta you gotta consider that you gotta be able to drop down and because the, the depth at receiver at corner at interior offensive line i think is in that second round range so it would be curious to see if that actually presents itself to ryan poles yeah, and you know, watching the uh, the first rounds happen, the last two drafts that I that I, that I mocked, um, with the kind of players that were available around two, and you know that, that that's again that that's one of those things where I thought about. I was like, man, if, 
if these players are available and, and, and we're, we're, we're talking about guys that are of, uh, uh, you know, imperative need. We're not talking about the guys like, you know, Christian Harris linebacker out of Alabama, which is sort of a luxury need in, in the sense that we do need a mic and he would be a perfect fit for that position in, in terms of you know, what we're looking for at, at the mic. And so it, it's, it's really tough. You know, if you're the GM of the Chicago Bears and you have, let's say, six players of imperative need and or luxurious need that you would love to take, which one you take? You really have to sort of split hairs a little bit and see what what uh, makes yourself more dynamic as a football team. And, yeah, and, and to me, that was, that was Christian Watson. And Eric at home uh, made, a, made a good point as well early on in the interview. And and when he said that, that, you know, it, it's, you know, it's, it's not the end of the off season once the draft is done, right? The draft is usually like the, the last real talent, you know, uh, gathering, uh, you know, process here, uh, other than free agency, but, you know, got to remember once the draft is done, there's going to be veteran free agents that are going to still be out there, right? A couple of guys touched on today was, was, was Dwayne Brown. And there's going to be guys that are going to be cut because of the fact that their team probably drafted their replacement in this, in the, uh, three days of, of the draft. So, that's the thing. It's it's like you know you, you got to keep in mind that that you know th- this team that is ter- currently today it's not going to be a team that's going to be reporting you know to Bourbon or, or or to uh, you know to uh, to training camp I should say up in Lake Forest you know it's it's going to be still tweaked here and there so let's just kind of give them the the entire off season if you will and let's see what they what they put out there on the field because you know like I, I think everyone's banging on the table here in terms of Jenkins and Borum at left tackle I'm telling you. The, the, the team itself is not giving those players that, that type of confidence to, that they're going to go into the season with, with those guys at, tack, at left tackle. So, um, you know, right. both guys give you something in terms of, you know, potential on the right side. But, you know, in terms of left tackle, that left side of the offensive line is still a, a, a huge need. And and I, I didn't address it in my mock draft, but it doesn't say that we won't address it later on in, in free agency, in veteran free agency. Correct. Neil, how's your audio uh, uh, working? Are you, can you stick uh, with another couple of minutes or so? Yeah, I, I think I possibly could. I, I thought I had these guys charged up, man. I, I guess I uh, dicked a donkey on that. I apologize. <laughs> no worries, brother. Um, did you take us through the entire uh, mock draft, uh, some of these players uh, in the latter rounds? Uh, no. So like, once we got past Zion, obviously we got we got two picks after that at 150. And that's where I saw Danny Gray and Kellen Deesh. And, uh, you know, Danny Gray is a guy that I've been tweeting nonstop about for almost two full years now. Uh, when I first saw him play at SMU in September of 2020, I saw a guy that had elite explosiveness, elite speed, uh, elite separation, um, a guy that could really stretch the field, and also a guy that really you, you could stick back there and uh, re- replace our kick and punt returner absolutely immediately. Um, you know, so... He's a, he's a guy that, you know, some people say, like, yeah, he's got the drops. He's though well, you know, he can work on it. It's called a, it's, it's called a jugs machine, right? You, you, you can get better as a, as a hands guy. But the thing that you can't teach is the, the elite speed, separation, explosiveness, all, all the things that you need to win at this level currently as a stand. Oh, oh. Did we lose Neil? That battery died. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, that bad the battery either died or we just had a uh, uh, internet interruption. Talk to me and see if we can hear you. Hang on. Oh, there I, I, I hear you. I hear you. We got you back. Ah, thought we had you back. <laughs> yeah, your audio is gone, brother. 
You you're, you're, you're kicked out of the kicked out of the bar, dude. We good now? They're kicking you out of the there you go. Oh, wait a I minute. I think I hear you. Yeah, there you go. Are we good? I can hear you. Faint. You have to Faint. yell. All right. Well, I guess I'll talk louder then. Yeah. <laughs> like, like that loud drunk that comes in right before closing time at the bar. That's where we need you. Yeah, that's uh, that's exactly where we're at right now, to be honest with you. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so you know, I, I saw Danny Gray. And I, and I don't know. If, did I get through the entire thing with Danny Gray? Yes. Okay, so Kellen Deesh, the left tackle at Arizona State. I saw that guy as as, as a guy that I really liked uh, during the East-West game. And uh, there wasn't a chance anybody was touching the quarterbacks in the East-West game. He really opened my eyes there. On tape, you know, he, he's a guy that uh, he, he's got quick feet, really good lateral agility, a decent size. Not He doesn't have the arm length that Danny Shimon likes, mm-hmm. but he, he's got good enough arm length. Uh, to be able to either like go inside or, or you know potentially play on the edge in the pinch, and then Wanya, we we we've you know been to hell and back with Wanya talking about him. I don't think we really have to go in, in depth. You know, really physical kid. Didn't like the way that he ran in, in, in the combine. Didn't like some of the things that he did from an agility standpoint on his pro day. But uh, you know, he's a guy that plays the physicality. Is what you want in a strong safety position. Um, available at the 108th pick in the sixth round. There wasn't anybody else there that I that were like more than him. So we need we need bodies in the safety room. You go ahead and pick that up. Yeah, for, go ahead. Yeah, Dan. for for me, Danny Gray obviously is, is he's a is a, is a quick twitch receiver. He's a guy that that's got that got quick acceleration, quick takeoff off the line of scrimmage. Uh, you know, played in a high uh, high volume offense at over SMU. But again, Neil mentioned his his biggest thing is, is some drops. He's got some some drops on on his tape that that really kind of you know something you have to kind of coach up, right? So uh, that that's one of the reasons why he's probably available day three. But again, gives you that that speed element, gives you that that guy that gives you the ability to take the top off of defense. So that's going to be something and provide some some return value as well on special teams. Uh, Deach is, is a guy that played left tackle at Arizona State. Uh, he's got the size in terms of six seven, three hundred pounds, but yeah, he's got thirty two inch arms. So he's a guy that's going to be kicked inside to guard. So that, that, that's a guy potentially uh, that, that could be one of your, you know, future replacements at left guard for what um, once the, um, and now I'm drawing a blank on the name of our left guard. Right here. Thank you. Cody right is, is up. His yep. contract is up. And uh, so I can, each could be a possible replacement there. And Wanye, just like, like, um, like uh, Neil said, you know, he caught my eye in the East-West Shrine game. Talk about an enforcer in the secondary, a guy that, that can come down and, and lay out running backs, uh, you know, and, and provide you some of that physicalness if you're looking for in that secondary. Uh, you know, didn't didn't do well at the combine. Ran slower than anticipated uh, 40. Uh, looked really um, out of balance in terms of his, his back pedal. Just looked awkward sometimes, some of the drills. So, you know, um, he's a guy that, you know, however you put him on tape, you know, he's just guy makes plays, right? But he's a guy that's not going to be – a guy's going to come down and cover slot corners or, or cover um, slot tight ends or receivers. But a guy, again, is going to be a, a sure tackler in the open field. A guy's going to com- come down and give you some some physicality from that strong safety position. So definitely a, a good value pick if he's there in the sixth round. Outstanding stuff, Neil. Thank you for putting that mock draft together, and thank you for popping in here for the last few minutes of the show. Um, I want to, uh, uh, and as part of our closing, I want to, to let people know that we had the opportunity to talk to Jim McMahon this past week. And one of the things that he shared with us is that he was going to visit Steve McMichael, who, as we all know, is suffering from ALS. 
Uh, this is a photograph that was posted of Jim with uh, Steve McMichael, and uh, I believe that's uh, uh, Steve's better half. And of course, it is uh, devastating to see Steve in this light, uh, but I'm, I wanted to share this with you all uh, because there are places where you can go to uh, uh, donate to the fight against ALS and, uh, and keep Steve McMichael in your thoughts. Uh, and whatever you can do, you know, whether it's a prayer, whether it's a donation or anything at all, would be greatly appreciated. Steve McMichael, for Bears fans of my age and a little younger, a little older, they know what his value was to Chicago sports, to Chicago Bears winning a Super Bowl. And just from an entertainment value before, during and after his career, Steve McMichael always brought it. He's just a very, very special guy. And, and again, uh, a, a lot of thanks to Jim McMahon uh, for appearing on our show this week. Guys, let's uh, go around and uh, share some final thoughts. Neil, I'll start with you because I know that uh, that battery is uh, down to its last half bar. <laughs> well, I mean, the, uh, the the earpieces have already you know passed away. I, I thought I had these guys charged, but shit, I I, uh, <laughs> I really, uh, you know. Take the donkey on that one, but anyways, guys, I appreciate you letting me come in, come in uh, completely unprepared in terms of how I have the normal studio setup. But uh, glad to share a little bit of mock drafts and wisdom with you guys. Glad to be on the show as always. Glad to have everybody in the chat, everybody in the chat, uh, you know, participating. Um, just uh, hey, man, um, we got uh, three weeks left until draft day. Two. <laughs> it's getting two crazy. weeks. It's two weeks. Two weeks from tonight. Two weeks from tonight, dude. Yep. Oh, wait, what, what, what month is it? I have no idea. No. But uh, hey, we're, we're, we're getting close, man. We're getting close. It's getting crazy. I have zero time in my life right now to do anything enjoyable <laughs> outside of watching film. So, um, hey, we're, we're going to have another great show come up next week. And uh, I'm not sure what Aldo has planned for us, but we're going to have some awesome stuff to talk about. As always, feed us your questions. Feed us your requests. Let us know what you need us to uh, talk about on the next show if you have anything. And, uh, you know, hopefully I won't have to uh, work out of office again because the technical difficulties have been crazy. <laughs> well, we're really fortunate that you were able to join us. So we know that you were taking care of some personal business and so appreciate you made some time for us. Uh, Danny, uh, final thoughts? Yeah, like, like I said, uh, two weeks till the draft. This is this is this is time where everyone starts now in terms of team start now putting the boards together and the final boards together and all that stuff. So and, and here at the bar, we're going to be putting together our final board here as well and getting ready for you know that that week long process you know leading up to the draft. So um, got got some uh, interior offensive line tape. We're going to re break it down for you guys next week and so, some of the guys you guys have been talking about. Um, you know, I know uh, uh, I forgot who it was it, but reach out to me about the Wisconsin kid Logan uh, Logan Bruss. I've got him broken down. I got, we'll have some Tyler Linderbaum tape just in case if he's available in that second round. And you guys know uh, there was a few where he showed up in mine too. Yeah, just so, just so you know, you guys, you know, this kid is is picked that he's going to be one heck of a one heck of a player here for your uh, for your Chicago Bears if he's there in the second round. So yeah, we'll break some interior off the line. Of course, I'm still also working on on a sleeper list here. Guys that that are not not big name guys, guys you know maybe tail end of the, of the third round, maybe guys even could go undrafted that uh, could bring some value here on, on on day three for the Bears. So look for that as well in the upcoming shows. Great job, uh, guys. Um, we are um, 
finish uh, this episode of Draft on Tap. Uh, what is it? <laughs> I'm a little flustered here because my wife is saying, hey, are you done with your show? I, I could use a glass of water or something. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, but uh, it has been a, a crazy day, uh, but we were really, really happy that we could uh, all get together here and uh, bring you a show because we're all so excited about what's happening over the next two weeks in preparation for the draft in the Barroom Network. As Neil and Danny have been saying, is the place uh, to come for draft information. We're going to provide much more content. Greg Gabriel, Neil, Danny, and others here at the Barroom Network will be providing you with tons of content. And so uh, the only thing that we ask in return is that you let others know that you hit the like button, that you subscribe to the Barroom Network's audio podcast and, and video channel here on YouTube. Uh, that's all we ask in return, and uh, we're greatly indebted. A lot of the fun that we have is just interacting with you in the chat room, and so uh, uh, we'd love to have more people with more diverse uh, opinions and thoughts on stuff. And I've also let people know in the chat area that uh, future shows we're going to have people uh, from from who are loyal barflies uh, come on the show and interact with Neil and Danny and others on the Barroom Network. So just hit me up at Barroom Network or email me, Aldo at Bears Barroom, and and let uh, me know that you're interested in popping in and uh, having some conversations with the guys. Guys, I just want to say real quick, Aldo, uh, tip that tip that hat to you for for uh, being able to do multitasking stuff here, running a show, taking care of your wife, you know, drinking on the side. No. You know, just, <laughs> exactly. So uh, you know, you know, golf clap here for Aldo, our, our, our leader here. Great, great Absolutely. job, dude. Great job. Thank you very much. Got to take care of the family, man. Oh, yeah. Got to take care of the family. First and foremost, you know it. And uh, I want to thank Caitlin, uh, uh, my stepdaughter and Donna's daughter. Uh, she, uh, I, I told her, hey, can you come over on Thursday? I got two great guests and uh, I'd love to do this show. And she said, absolutely. And so she's here helping out. And so thank you, Caitlin, very much. All right, everybody. Thank you again for watching. And uh, we'll see you next week right here on Draft on Tap. And our next uh, live programming will be on Monday. Greg Gabriel and I will be talking defensive linemen. So uh, make sure you watch that at 1 p.m. on Monday. Take care, everybody.